there. Well, hello there. Did you have a good Thanksgiving break? I did. Did you? I had a great Thanksgiving break. I ate a lot of food. I was with you. I know. <laughs> I, I, well, a... I wasn't talking to you. Oh. I was talking to the, the, the listeners. Like, Laura. I made a lot of that food. <laughs> I was talking to the listeners. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm Latara. Hey, I'm Laura. And this is Passions, Passions Podcast. Podcast. Welcome back to our little show. Back from the Thanksgiving break. Yeah. I have to say I missed it. it was, I, yeah. It was weird taking a week off. It was a little weird, but it was a little nice to really just like not have to take notes and watch Passions. And do homework. But then coming back to it was exceptionally nice. Oh like I was God. like, this is so, so good. These episodes are just jam-packed. Yeah. So today we're talking about episodes 111 through 115. Is that right? I hope so. That's what I watched. Okay. <laughs> That's what I watched. <laughs> I watched too. I was just making sure that was the right numbers. Okay. So we've got a lot to talk about. Boy, do we ever. Shall we just get into it? I think we should. Let's start in New Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) So what's going on down in old New Mexico way? Oh my, in old New Mexico way, uh, Luis is warming Sheridan with his naked, glistening Adonis bronze god body is what's happening and sheridan is deliriously begging him to make love to her yep. <laughs> and i get it i get it <laughs> i i could be in a dead sleep and if Luis pushed his naked body up against me i'd be like yeah let's do this <laughs> I get it. And I love it. And Luis is so kindly being like, you're confused. You're delirious. You're feverish. You don't know what's going on. And so he's like, let's just go to sleep. He says, I'm just here to keep you warm. But before he falls asleep, he offers his thoughts to the ether and says, you out there, Papa? Are you out there being a scoundrel? Are you really dead? Or who are you? It makes me think two things. I, I already know. One is... Uh, from what is it? Five goes west somewhere out there. It made me think of like my childhood. Pale moonlight. Oh, so, I love yeah. Five. Oh, I love all of them. And Papa, Papa, can, can you, you hear me? <laughs> I don't even know that musical. I don't either. I only know that, that one. Is line. that Yentl? Is it Yentl? I think. I think maybe? it is. I don't know. I know I should know because it's Babs, but I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I, that's all I know from it. Mm-hmm. I and think I'm, I only know that reference mostly from Will and Grace. I Yeah, from like TV and yeah. pop culture. Yeah, the yeah. zeitgeist. Yeah, but anyway. Are you, you out there, Papa? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Probably. Let's, so let's, let's see what happens here. So outside this cabin, Martin, and I use air quotes around Martin, whoever this person is, Martin is heading into this cabin saying, uh, Luis and Sheridan will never find me here. How did they get there before he did? The rushing water carried them swiftly to the cabin. I don't know. How the hell did they, they went on foot basically. And he got a head start in a car. Yeah. How the hell did he get, how did they get there before? Like, did he take a detour home and like pack some things and just like take his fucking time i think we learn later in this episode that he's a heavy alcoholic and i think there was maybe some alcoholism that got in the way and maybe he passed out and something happened that we didn't see because there's no way that he would have gotten there after them unless he just didn't 
so long so long after them yeah. they had been there like all, all night, night. <laughs> all the fuck night was- long all night all night <laughs> they've been there all night long just you know rubbing their naked bodies against one another Good for them um but yeah he's outside and he's like they'll never find me here and then he trips over some wood or something and it startles Luis awake, so he got he gets up naked and then puts on his pants. Unfortunately. Uh, well, he doesn't put on a shirt, so. Thank goodness. Puts on his pants, and uh, he goes to investigate, so he kind of looks out the window, and he sees Martin, I guess, coming in, and he kind of lays in wait to capture him. So when Martin comes through the door, he grabs him, and uh, he says, are you, he just starts yelling at this man, are you my father? Are you Martin Fitzgerald? And the man's looking at him saying, Luis? God damn it. And so this causes Luis to come to the conclusion that, yes, of course you're my father. It's like, how many times do we have to say this? But like, bro, how do you not recognize your dad? You grew up with him for years. Presumably there are photos around the house. There are albums. Like, how do you not know? Also, this man is maybe 10 years older maybe. than Luis. They look like maybe. they're about the same age, right? Like, that's the, one of the first things I said. I was like, well, my girl. And you're like, we met a Martin. I was like, well, I'm confused because he looks like he's the same age. Like, he, he doesn't look old enough to be his father. He Whatever. maybe is 10 years older. And, uh, and I felt the same way about the dude at the bar. I was like, this dude's not old enough to be your dad. Right. I don't think he looked older. He was a little bit older though. But yeah, he at least had like 15 years on Luis. This guy could be his older brother. Luis just isn't thinking straight. He thinks every white man he sees is his dad. (laughs) (laughs) Are you my papa? Are Are you you my papa? Did you ever read that book? Are you my mama? It's like a Dr. Seuss book about this bird looking for its mama. I don't think so. And it goes to like a zebra and says, are you my mama? And they're like, no, I'm a zebra. That's making me sad. (laughs) No, it finds its mama. okay. (laughs) In the end, it finds its mama. But anyway, uh, that's Luis. Are you my papa? Yeah, so Luis and Martin kind of tussle. I, a bit, I kind don't know. of. Luis kind gets of. him hemmed up against a wall, and like and I liked it. He's not letting him go. He's pressed up against that wall, and he just like keeps asking him questions, but won't let Martin answer any of them. He right. just keeps yelling all. Of, How could you have left us like you did? Are you my father? You are my father, aren't you? Your days of running out on people are over. Yeah, he just like keeps asking him all these questions, but what, what happened all those years ago? And he just keeps yelling at him, and that guy's like not saying anything and then he like yells the story at him he's like you yeah he yells the martin story at martin yeah it's great it's like (laughs) you disappeared and you did this and it's like okay all right and somehow martin kind of untangles himself and starts to run but luis tackles this man to the ground it was amazing well sheridan like yelled out for help yeah she's like help (laughs) (laughs) what the is wrong with Sheridan right if now? If I don't get snuggles, I will die. <laughs> She's like, help! And and it distracts Luis just long enough for Martin to like run out of the run out of the front door. But yeah, Luis grabs him by the shoulders and like pounces on him like a puma. Yeah. It's amazing. He looked yeah. gorgeous. Ooh, when he was on top of him, his knee down on his back. I was, mm. <laughs> he was, I, could rough me up anytime. Mm. Ooh. I second, I second the motion. <laughs> All in favor say aye. 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 The eyes have it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he tackles him to the ground. 
But somehow in the process, he kind of like fucks up his foot. Like he steps on a, po- a broken piece of pottery or something. Yeah. And, he like pulls him to his feet. But yeah. And uh, at this moment, Sheridan yells out for help again. And so Luis basically makes the choice to go help Sheridan. Well, it, here's the thing. He stepped on that. He, he like hurt his foot. Mm-hmm. He's not wearing shoes. Right. And Sheridan is inside yelling, somebody, somebody, please help me. Right. Please, somebody help me. So, like, I get it. I get why he didn't chase after Martin. He didn't He didn't have on shoes. Right. I don't know why he didn't put on shoes, but he didn't have any on. Well, he didn't have any time. He didn't have any on. But, yeah, but, but yes, he, uh, he was unable to chase after Martin. So Martin gets away. Again. Again. And he goes to help Sheridan, who is crying in her sleep, I think. What is going on with Sheridan? That you know, this show does, and it might be a soap opera thing, but the show a lot of times has actors with their eyes closed, and sometimes it indicates that they are asleep or have passed out, and sometimes they are still awake and they just can't see what's happening, but they don't tell us which scenario we are in. So I'm constantly confused. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he goes in and he holds her and he calms her down and. She says, I feel safe in your arms, even though she doesn't know it's Louise. And then Louise hears Martin's car leaving and he says, you can run, but you can't hide. I'll find you again and you won't get away from me next time. (laughs) And then he snuggles up to Sheridan. That's right. (laughs) And says, when you're better, we'll come back to Santa Fe for answers. Yep. Yep. And so Sheridan wakes up a little while later. She's feeling healthy and well-rested. She's like, oh, my gosh, my fever is gone. So I guess she had a fever uh, and realizes she's naked and that she can't really remember what happened the night before. And then she looks over and sees Luis, who is sleeping, and she flips that all the way out. Yeah, she panics. And I get it. And she's like, if, if I woke up naked in bed with a man and couldn't remember anything, yeah, I'd be, I, I get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. She had a reasonable reaction. It's like, why am I naked? Who took off my clothes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so Louise explains to Sheridan, you know, what happened. And Sheridan then is like, oh yeah. Cause he's like, you were freezing. You were delirious. You were feverish. I knew I had to take your wet clothes off of you. And I just put you under the blanket and I was just using my body heat to warm you so you wouldn't die. And my clothes were also freezing and wet. So I couldn't, you know, like we, we had limited options. I did what I could to keep you alive. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, right. Why are there traces of my lipstick on your mouth? (laughs) And she's like, did you take advantage of me? And he's like, I can't believe you think I would take advantage of you while you're unconscious. And he explains that she was the one. He was like, I was just trying to cover you up. And you literally threw your arms around me and pulled me in for a big one, a big kiss. Yup. And, and just like, wouldn't let go, honestly. Right. Well, and he tells her, you saw me as like a faceless man who had come in to rescue you. Um And she asks if Martin was there because she does have a bit of a memory about it being dark and all this other stuff. And so she's, she believes Luis in the end. And then is like, wait, so Martin was there because Luis says, yes, he was. I basically had him. Uh, And she's like, well, was it your father or not? And he goes, well, it was dark. I haven't seen him in years. And he grew a beard, but he did call me Luis. And Sheridan's like, what the fuck? And you let him get away without any answers? Yeah. <laughs> like, what like, are you thinking? What are you? She was really upset. Yeah. Mad, big mad. 
And, you know, why didn't you stop him and keep him here until you found out the truth? And then Luis is like, well, I had him and I would have, but you were wailing for help. So I let him go. Yeah. (laughs) I had to make a choice. And I hated this little exchange where he's like, well, I'm a police officer and my duty is to the citizens of Harmony. And he's like, so I had no choice but to come look in after you. Like, I was like, come on, Luis. Like, you're over explaining and trying to make some excuses that don't really work, but whatever. But, uh... Luis wonders again, because Sheridan is pushing the issue so much, he wonders again why it seems so important to her to find Martin. In fact, it seems almost more important to her than it does to him. And so he again is like, what is, what's your connection to Martin? And she kind of talks her way out of it again. Yeah, yeah, she does. So he, he believes her. I, I guess. I guess. I think he's still suspicious, but he, you know, whatever. Yeah. He's got bigger fish to fry at this moment. Yeah. So, little does he know she's the bigger fish. Right, <laughs> like, right. If he would just follow that train yeah. into town, he'd be like, ah, this is exactly the path I need to be on. But Yeah, but at this point, I think we should go back to the mansion really quickly and talk about Julian. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I just want to say Luis and Sheridan decide to go back to the hotel and see if they can pick up some pieces there and then continue the search for Martin. Yeah. And then let's so, talk about Julian. So let's talk about Julian. Back at the mansion, Julian is once again on speakerphone with Alistair. And whatever, that doesn't matter. What does matter is that Ivy comes in and overhears the, this story, him talking to Alistair. And Alistair flat out tells him, sacrifice anybody anyone to keep this secret a secret okay anyone anybody including your family members that's what he tells him and then he also tells him to get his shit together and put down the decanter yeah he's like julian i i would rather you do this before you got too drunk to get to to be able to do anything so put down the decanter because julian was like pouring himself a a drink and he tells him to put it down but Alistair's on the phone, which begs the question, does Alistair have this fucking house just bugged with, like, spy cameras? I could see it. I could see it. I, you know. But anyway, he hangs up the phone. He decides, you know, he's going to figure this out. Ivy comes in, gives him some shit. But then she finally says, you know, if w- this secret coming out w- will hurt Ethan, I'm all for keeping it all covered up. Right. Yeah, well, I'm all for keeping it quiet. And that also means sacrificing whoever needs sacrificing. And this is one of those moments where I was like, Ivy is just as bad as every other crane. She's been in that house too long, or maybe it was always a part of her. But she, as much as I want to like her, I'm like, I can't with this this kind of thing going on. Like, there's some there's some ah, tribalism and classism and stuff that I just don't like. Yeah, I like Ivy, but... I like Ivy as a character. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think she's a good person. Right, right. <laughs> I know she's a bad person. She's interesting as hell to watch, though. Yeah, she really she's, is. Uh, she's, I love her as a character. But I don't want, like, I don't think I would want to hang out with any of these people. Not a one. Not even Teresa. She's too crazy. She's way too crazy. Maybe Whitney. Simone. I would hang out I with Simone. I would hang out with Whitney and Simone. I would hang out with Simone and Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. I'd hang out with Whitney, too. She ha- she's with Teresa too much. Yeah, but we could bring her over to the, the side of Mm-mm. sanity. No, she's with <laughs> Teresa too much. Team sanity. But anyway. Um, I'd hang out with Sam. So Julian, oh, Lord, 
while Julian is talking to Ivy, the phone rings and it's Martin. And he says to Julian, uh, Luis Lopez Fitzgerald damn near killed me. So you need to figure something out right now or I'm going to blow the lid off this whole damn scheme. And Julian's like, don't threaten me. I'm coming to Santa Fe. So now let's go back to Santa Fe where Julian <laughs> arrives at the hotel wearing the worst disguise I have ever seen. I cracked up. I couldn't stop laughing. I cracked up. He's wearing. I, like- I wrote, Julian arrives in New Mexico dressed as what he thinks is a local. <laughs> yes. Yes. He's wearing a, like a Sherpa. Like, tan duster, but it's made out of like Sherpa material. And then he's got on these like black sunglasses that are kind of bug eyed. And that's it. That's it. It's that's obviously it. Julian in a coat. It couldn't be more obvious. Oh, God, I hate Julian so much. <laughs> two, two kids in a trench coat yeah. with a hat on top would have looked less suspicious than Julian. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, he's so such a mess. But so he gets back. He gets to Santa Fe and he has like a clandestine meeting with someone who I think his name was Miller. Was his name Miller? I think his name was Miller. Some kind of informant. He meets him in the lobby of this hotel, and he's like, I got to tell you, I'm not happy. And he tells this guy to find Martin and get him out of Santa Fe before Sheridan and Louise can find him and before they can see Julian there. Right. Like, I got, he's like, I got to get out of here before they see me here. They can't see me here. And we actually hear that m- multiple times. Like Ivy says it to him yeah. a couple of times. Like you better not let them see you there. It's like, well, we know how that's going to go. <laughs> and then Julian immediately runs in to <laughs> Sheridan and Luis Look, in the lobby. Of the, I mean, he turns he, around. He literally, he's having one conversation and does a 180 t- and turns around and is looking at Sheridan and Luis. I mean. Hilarious. The staging of it all. Loved it. Hilarious. Hilarious. And so he's fucking caught. Yeah. And uh, Luis, of course, rightly accuses him of being there to track down Martin. And he says, how are you connected to his disappearance? And Julian kind of dodges it and claims that he's there for Sheridan. Of course, Sheridan sees through this facade. She's like, the only reason that you are here is for yourself. Stop trying to pretend that you're some caring older brother. I know you're selfish AF. And so then he's like, I got to pivot. And so he's like, well, I'm here for my brand new plane and you took it out for a maiden voyage without my knowledge or permission. So I'm here to get my plane back. Yeah, and then Sheridan's <laughs> like, that I believe. Right. That I believe. But yeah, they, she gets really mad at the the implication that he cares about her. She gets pissed about it. He's and like, rage. I'm here out of concern for you. And she's like, you don't give a fuck about me, Julian. You never have and you never will. It's like the angriest we've seen her yet. Yeah, she. I love I love every encounter where Sheridan is standing up to Julian. Me too. It's so good because he always thinks he's about to have her on the ropes, but she just comes back, comes out swinging. And I don't understand why the only time we see Sheridan stand up for herself is to Julian. Before it was with Luis, but it was so combative, it didn't make sense. And Mm -hmm. I guess because of her interaction with her brother, this does make sense. But it's like, I need to see... A little bit more of this <laughs> and a little bit more soft with Louise. And like, you know, we got it. We got to round Sheridan out, but we're starting to do it. And I really, really like it. Yeah. So I like that, too. So Julian then kind of probes them and it's like, so do you have you had any luck finding your father? 
Uh, and Julie and Luis tells him, you know, we almost had him, but I lost him. And um, but I'm not giving up the search because Julian's like, oh, darn, I guess you I guess you got to go home now. Oh, that's too bad. Too you bad. Were, you came all the way out here and fit. You came all the way out here and failed on your mission. We're going to have to go home now. Yep, too bad. And uh, Luis is like, nope, we're going to keep looking. (laughs) Don't you worry, Mr. Crane. Yeah. And, of course, this is not good news for Julian. Mm -hmm. And so then he tries to scare Sheridan by bringing up what Alistair wants. He's like, well, I'm sure father wouldn't want you out here in New Mexico doing this. But Sheridan, she stands strong. He thinks that he thinks, and it, maybe at one point, Alistair's the mere mention of Alistair would make her cower. But I think she has just grown so much that she's like, fuck it. I, you know, I, I never see him. He doesn't love me. Like, why do, why should I be constantly trying to win his approval? I don't care if he doesn't, wouldn't like this. Yeah. You know, and Sheridan again stands up for herself. I think we should also say Luis has left to make a phone call. So Luis is having a separate conversation while Julian and Sheridan are having a conversation. Um, and Julian tells her that she basically needs to step off or the police are going to get involved. After the Alistair fear tactic didn't work, he starts saying, well, the police are going to be involved. And once the police are involved, then then you're going to end up locked up in an insane asylum because you are unwell and they're not going to allow you to roam the streets of harmony. This was ridiculous. And it's flimsy as hell, but Sheridan seems to buy this. This was ridiculous. He tries to basically make her think that at this point that he's, there to protect her from herself right because she's going to end up in an asylum or an institution but one anything she did she did when she was a child oh and that's another thing he was like he was like once they realize that your story doesn't check out you're going to have to be institutionalized nope that's not how it works that's not how that works not how it works at all and even if like the police decided to institutionalize institutionalize someone they can only lock you up for like three days yeah like they can't keep you there indefinitely right you can't be locked up against your fucking will well i'm not sure if maybe there was some implication that that we don't know about that julian can pull strings and make stuff happen unless sheridan comes to heal i don't really know i didn't get that i that's not what i got from that because all i heard was you know, they're going to have to lock you up. Yeah. I, they are going to have to lock you up. Not right. that we are going to. And they couldn't. The Cranes couldn't do anything to Sheridan. She's a grown woman. Mm-hmm. They can't do anything. Yeah. I know this. I have intimate knowledge of this because I have family who are have mental illnesses that we can't do anything for them unless they want to do it. Right. Right. Like we can't make them go to the therapy. We can't make them be in the institutions like unless they try to kill themselves right and even then there's a limit on how long yep, you could be kept they let them right days. they let them right back out yeah so yeah. i guess that's why i was so like why is she so scared by this yeah it scares her it scares her because of her childhood where she was held against her will in uh france with doctors in institutions and i think it also scares her because she's been gaslit for years by her family so i think there i think I, I think that's the only way that this works. Again, to us, it's flimsy, and we know we see through it. But Sheridan can't for whatever reason. Yeah, well, she does seem to be shaken by the idea that she may be sent to an institution, and then Julian kind of leans in a little bit more and says, "You haven't said anything to Officer Luis, have you?" And Sheridan's like, 
I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I don't know. I was feverish and I had this illness after the flash flood and I don't really know what I said and I I I don't know. But Julian deduces that she didn't say anything of importance to Louise because if she had, Louise would not be so friendly to them. Right. Um if he knew that she thinks she killed his father. <laughs> and, and Julian says, you can't let anything slip to Louise whether you're feverish or delusional. <laughs> Yeah, He's like you shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> and Sheridan once again brings up the fact that she wants to figure out what actually happened that night. Right. Um, and cont- she's going to continue her search for Martin. And she also says that she will make a full confession to the police if she finds out that she did kill Martin. Yeah. And Julian tells her again that she- he's like, stop it. You did not kill Martin Lopez Fitzgerald. And then Sheridan finally seems to get a fucking clue. And she's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, Julian, you know more about this than you are. You've been telling me, you know, something about his disappearance. What is it? There's more. But of course, Julian doesn't tell her anything, but she does seem to be getting a clue. Julian says, no, I'm telling the truth. And she says to him, the real truth or the crane truth. Mm -hmm. So Sheridan's Sniffing out the clues. Yep. So meanwhile, over at the payphone where Luis has gone to make his phone call, uh, he encounters a woman who claims to know Martin Fitzgerald and his and his whereabouts. She's like, we get very acquainted on paydays. Hmm. I think she's a lady of the night. I know. I wrote, oh, it's like, oh, I think she's a sex worker. And I said, yeah. you make that money, sis. Like, I was just like, oh, this is a well-dressed older woman who's speaking to him at the phone. And then they started to intimate that she is a sex worker. And I was like, and? So, <laughs> so he pays her $50 for some information because mm-hmm. she says she knows where he probably is. And then he goes back and interrupts Sheridan and Julian's conversation. And he and Sheridan head off to follow the lead very quickly. He's like, I got to lead. We got to go. And Julian, (laughs) Julian, after they leave, immediately calls that Miller guy. Mm -hmm. And he tells him, you've got to find Martin before Luis finds him. He's somewhere nearby. This is like the information I can help you with. And then he quickly follows Luis and Sheridan. This whole Miller thing, I don't really understand. At all. They haven't, they haven't. They haven't explained who he is. Any of this to us? So if it seems like we don't know what we're talking about, it's because the show hasn't told us anything. Yeah, he's going to tell you what I know. He's just around sometimes. So then they, we see Martin in a room at some seedy motel, and he's on the phone, leaving a voicemail for Julian, who just will not answer the phone, and he's been <laughs> yelling at Julian. He's like, "You better answer the phone, Crane." he's like yelling so when Luis and Sheridan show up they can hear him they're like he's here and then Julian pops up and they're like what the fuck are you doing here I thought you came (laughs) to get your plane (laughs) and then he's and then Julian starts to talk really really loudly to try and tip off Martin he's like well he owes me money yeah he's like god I hope he's not hiding out here (laughs) what happens if he hears us if he hears us he'll slip out the bag I mean the performance was cartoonish and perfect and hilarious I don't I need to look up the actor's name he's fantastic the guy playing Julian is really great I feel like it's Ben Ben something something. yeah yeah anyway um (laughs) what happens next okay so uh Basically, Luis is like shuts him up. He's like, shut the fuck up, Julian. And then insists 
that Sheridan and Julian stand back and allow him to go in first to subdue Martin. And everyone agrees. They're like, okay, no worries. We got this. And as they, as Luis like opens the door, go in. He kicks it in. Like, yeah, he kicks the door in. Julian goes in first. Again, trying to like cause mayhem and and, and allow time for Martin to escape. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. Because Luis kicks the door in, which if you're a cop, if you go to a motel and you say, I need to get into this room, they'll let you in. Like you literally do not have to go around kicking in doors. Right. But anyway, he kicks the door in and Julian pushes past Luis, like pushes his body, pushes Luis out of the way. It was so funny the way it happened. And when he's coming in, he comes through and he's like, Oh, I don't know if he's in here, blah, blah, blah. And immediately Martin sees Julian. Cause Julian's such an idiot. Martin sees Julian. He says, it's about time, Crane. Where the hell have you been? Well, the jig is up, Julian. Yeah, because Luis is like, you've botched this whole thing, and this guy's expecting you? Is this guy expecting you? How do you know each other? So this next part, <laughs> Julian is trying to give Martin clues without being obvious of like how to answer Luis's questions. And um, it's just comedic meanwhile uh what's his name is is out the window the informant is like on miller the other side, on the other of, side the of the window like this whole thing doesn't quite make sense to well me. how did he know where they were how do right. you know which room they were in right and then sheridan like lets it slip that the martin story has been haunting her and she says that like to martin i the whole thing is the whole thing was so, crazy oh so confusing and weird so louise says you've been were you was this guy expecting you and then Julian scoffs and says, of course, of course, this man wasn't expecting me. Louise is like, well, then how do you know this man, Julian? And then Julian says, a thief never forgets his victim. And then, which, okay, Julian, but the explanation was so terrible. This whole, it was so terrible. This whole scene was poorly written. So then Louise tries to clarify. So he's saying, so you, so you're saying this is my father. Cause Louise, I mean, cause Julian has obviously met Martin Fitzgerald. Right. Right. Like that. I was under that impression. Weren't you? It seemed clear. Oh yeah. No, it was clear that Julian and this Martin fellow know each other. It's also clear well, that Julian that Julian had met the real Martin Fitzgerald though. That he would recognize him. Oh sure. Yeah yeah. Yeah. That's I was under that impression. But the way that Julian was making it seem, he was making it seem like Martin would know him, but he wouldn't know Martin. Right. But well, again, it doesn't make sense. Julian's trying to throw off. The, Julian is trying to throw off the scent to Sheridan and Luis while at the same time trying to give clues to Martin to follow his lead. And none of it actually worked. It didn't work. Especially because Passions has not set it up that this is not Luis's father. They've hinted that it might not be, but they haven't told us that outright. So the whole thing is bizarre (laughs) and weird. And then we also have to mention that Martin is drinking. It appears that this man is an alcoholic. So we yeah. also so we also have this like through the, the the film of an alcoholic who is not sussing out and understanding the situation. I mean, it was insane. It's such a mess. And it fu- was a it was the hot mess express. So Luis and Julian are going back and forth, and Sheridan eventually comes between them and says, like, we're not getting anywhere like this. And then Luis finally starts to ask Martin some questions, but Martin is like too drunk to answer the questions. And um, then Julian kind of distracts Luis and Sheridan by talking about 
the windows are sealed. He was like, he, there's no way for him to get out of this room. The windows are sealed, blah, blah, blah. He could, Martin could never escape. And then Martin pulls out a gun. Yeah. So Julian went to the window, uh, to tell his informant Miller to like make himself scarce. And, and, uh, cause he was trying to motion to him to like leave, I think, I think. And then, uh, tells Sheridan and Luis the windows are sealed. Martin couldn't possibly get out this way. We've got him cornered. Martin whips out a gun and this drunk guy is like, I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> I'm tired of living a lie. And then the lights go out. Yeah. He says, Luis, de- he says, Luis deserves answers. Yeah. I want, an- I deserve answers. Yeah. And then Julian tries to stop him from talking. He, he yells, damn you. And Luis, I don't know. It was crazy. It was. It's. it's the, we're struggling to explain it because it didn't make any sense. <laughs> and then he says, Martin says, you know, I want to start from the beginning, but it's too much. And then, the, yeah, the lights go out. So, and then Luis knocks Martin to the ground, grabs Sheridan, pulls her outside, and Julian follows. Then Luis calls after Martin, but he doesn't answer from inside the room. And Julian laughs and says... Maybe he killed himself. Maybe he wasn't shooting at us. But I didn't hear a gunshot. We are meant to believe that Martin fired his gun. And that's what causes the lights to go out. Um, And that's what prompts Julian Sheridan and Luis to escape the room and go into the hallway. But the... But none of it happened. There was absolutely no gunshot. There was no gunshot. We didn't hear anything. So it. So again, it, this just doesn't really make sense. I don't know if they just didn't add the sound effect that they were supposed to, or if they didn't have the money for it, or if maybe Julian is playing a mind game. I don't know. But either way, the three of them are in the hallway trying to figure out what they should do. And eventually, Luis goes in and says, look, I'm a police officer. You two stay here. I'm going to go in and see what's, see what's happening in here. And he goes in and says, he's gone. He must have escaped out of the window that Julian, you said, was locked and sealed. And then Julian just disappears. (laughs) As quickly as he found them by turning one way and then they were there. Like Luis says something to Sheridan, turns around and Julian has absolutely disappeared. He's disappeared. And then the fire alarm goes off. Right, right. It's like, did he pull the fire alarm? Well, like, he he meets up with that Miller guy around back. Yeah. And um, he says they need to catch up with Martin before Luis does. And he says, like, good good touch to Miller by pulling the fire alarm, basically. Okay. So Insane. apparently this Miller guy made the lights go out and pull the fire alarm. I don't know. I don't know. So Luis is like, I'm going to... Luis and Sheridan now are in the hallway alone. And Luis is like, I'm going to go after Martin. You stay put. Because <laughs> he's tired of people disappearing on him. <laughs> <laughs> so Luis chases after Martin. And Sheridan, hearing the fire alarm, decides to look for the fire? She goes is that off, what happened? She goes off in the opposite direction. <laughs> <I don't- laughs> She goes, a fire alarm? I wonder where there's a fire. And goes off the complete opposite direction. I don't know. Pure chaos. So that's it for Santa Fe. Let's go back to Harmony. Please. Back in Harmony. How about we uh, take a trip to the hospital? We have to talk. Look, every single story is bonkers. The hospital might be the most bonkers of them all. You think? Oh, my God. No, girl, no, no. The charity shit is the most bonkers shit. I don't know. Eve... Eve, people, doctors kill people all the time. Intentionally? <laughs> Not intentionally. That's the Hippocratic, it goes against the Hippocratic. Oath. Yeah. No, um, so 
let's talk about what's going on with Eve and, and these people over at this hospital. So at the hospital, um, we see Chad, who has run into Whitney, and she says, I'm not at the hospital to see you. I'm here to see my mom. And she explains that, she, you know, because he's like, okay, whatever. And he walks away. And then she stops him and says, you know, I'm not trying to be standoffish, but I'm in, en- I'm in enough trouble as it is. And my mother really doesn't want me hanging around with you. And, you know, he asks her, well, that's what your mother wants. But what do you want, Whitney? You want Chad, you Whitney. You want Chad, Whitney. She wants Chad. She wants him so bad. She loves him. Well, meanwhile. She's, a, she's so afraid of how she feels about Chad that she's being mean to him. Yeah. That's what's happening. Meanwhile, Eve is inside of Orville's room talking at an unconscious Orville. The speech that this woman gives to this unconscious man is wild (laughs) she says why do you have to come back into my life orville i thought it was all behind me that i was safe and if you tell what you know i'll lose my husband my daughters and everything i care about i would rather see you dead here and now than to let that happen (laughs) so you tell me the craziest that's that's fucking nuts. We'll let the listeners decide what's the craziest things. I mean, my God. But that is that is pretty horrible. But she doesn't kill him. So there's that. Oof. But anyway, outside of Orville's room, TC and Simone have shown up. And TC talks to Chad about um, finding those envelopes at Orville's house. He's like... Yeah, we found these envelopes with money in them, but it's not the money that's bothering me. It's the envelopes. They just seem so familiar. I feel like I've seen those before. And remember, we did see Eve riding on one of those envelopes. Mm-hmm. We'll see if TC ever gets that figured out. Simone will. <laughs> It'll be Simone who figures it out. It probably because will. Because she's also randomly there. Did she come with her dad? She came with her dad, ah, yeah. okay. So um, Eve comes out of Orville's room and... Uh, Chad goes in to Orville's room after Eve comes out. Mm -hmm. And so Eve's, of course, upset. Like, TC, why are you and the girls talking to Chad? And he's like, I was talking to Chad because I want to make sure that he's okay. Like, the girls were not talking to him. You know, relax. 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 Calm down. And so then he goes in to check on Orville. Take a chill pill, Dr. Russell. And Eve once again tells her girls, warns her girls against hanging out with Chad. And Simone says to her, Mom, if you're going to be so strict about us not seeing Chad, at least tell us why. Because I'm your mother and I want better for you than I had. Yep. I want better for my daughters than I than what I had. And Simone is like, what does that mean? But Eve just, Eve's like, um, excuse me, Ivy Crane is here. I have to go talk to Ivy. And she just leaves. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened? You'll find it's out. It's going to be such a long time till we find out. But I really want to know. It won't be too much longer till you find out about like Eve's past okay. like parts of eve's past yeah i feel like you'll start to we'll start to get like little things it's just so interesting soon. that um, that one little nugget that i think simone said ep- many episodes ago about how why don't we know anybody in your family mm-hmm. to me i was just like okay yeah. there's something big there is i can't wait i can't wait yeah there's something there that you will be shocked by Ooh. but um yeah tc goes in uh, to chat uh, to Orville's room and talks 
to Chad and Chad's like, yeah, it doesn't seem that Orville's going to be waking up anytime soon. Mm. So they leave and Orville immediately stirs and starts to say, Eve, secret, Eve, secret. Mm. It couldn't couldn't be more dramatic. (laughs) I love it. Oh, Lord. So meanwhile, in the hall, Simone and Whitney defy their mother's wishes and talk with Chad. And Whitney defends Eve and says, you know, she's keeping us away from you because she wants to protect us, which is not helpful or kind in any way. And Whitney's like, Simone, you don't need to go up against mom. And Simone says, fuck that. And goes after Chad. Yeah, Chad <laughs> goes off to the book cafe because he works there. So she follows him there. Um, but elsewhere in the hospital, Eve, who has seen Ivy, she's talking to Ivy about something to do with the pediatric wing. I think Ivy was there for a board meeting yep. because Julian couldn't come. Yep, because he's in Santa Fe. Because he's in Santa Fe. In his, great, in his great disguise. And then TC enters, and Ivy says to TC uh, uh, something about how Eve is so capable of getting money for charity out of Julian, and she's never, she doesn't know what's so special about Eve that, he, she can get so much money out of Julian because it's so unlike him to be so charitable. Yeah, she mm. cracks a little joke. She's like, oh, maybe you know a secret about my husband. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. And then makes a joke about Eve's reputation, which Eve, very briefly we see her face kind of flash horror, like, oh, my God, my reputation. Mm-hmm. And then Ivy's like, you know, everyone calls you Saint Eve. And it's like, okay, so... I Ivy and TC have one idea of who this woman is, and Eve has a very different opinion of herself. Yes. Well, she knows what she's done. Right. <laughs> right. She's the saint because I think she's making up for all the shit she's done. Because mm. then Eve goes back into Orville's room, and he tells her he doesn't remember much of anything anymore, and sometimes he doesn't know what he's saying. And he says, I bet that scares you, doesn't it, Eve? Mm. And he also says, your family doesn't know anything about you and that you're living a lie. And and he says, and I'm a danger to you and you must want me dead. Yeah. Yeah. She does want you dead. (laughs) He also says, I'm an old man and I don't have a lot of time, but there's someone else who could ruin your secret and blow you out of the water. There's someone else. Who could it be? Who could it be now? You know that song? Hollow Notes. No? No. Who I don't think it? that's Hollow Notes. Da-da. Minute Work. Basically the same it thing. Minute Work. Not the same thing. I don't even know who Minute Work are, really. Well, we know that song. We know that they're men who work. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah, so, I don't know. Who could it be? I don't know. Could it be a family member that she doesn't talk to? Who knows oh, what's going yeah. on? Could it, it be? It, it 100% is a family member she doesn't talk oh, to. Really? Oh, really? <laughs> oh, look about, at me. Okay. Now that I think about it, the, the only person, because I think there's like, there is a, a character that we know who probably does know her secrets. Like, well, definitely knows a lot of her secrets. Yeah. And then there's another character we haven't met okay. who knows a lot about her past. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm over here thinking she probably has a sister or a brother or a best friend, like a confidant, but I think it's gotta be a family member. So I'm thinking a sister. Uh, 
and they know everything and that's why she cut off contact with them because she was too embarrassed i'm gonna go with that yeah. with you yeah i'm gonna go with that with you okay All right. there's a, i mean there's a lot of other things that happen but sure yeah. that's my prediction with what i know thus I, far though i like it all right so now let's talk about so i've been having a change of heart let's talk <laughs> about it we're gonna talk about charity k mcgill and the magic stuff is your change of heart that you might actually be team k i might actually be team k because i might i might like legitimately be, be on her team not just i'm against charity i'm like I'm rooting, rooting for k yeah yeah and it's i don't like the way i feel about that like i don't like this they've written such an insufferable character that i wouldn't mind if she got hit by a train Charity is so annoying. I, uh... I... She's so irritating. Yeah. Man, oh, oh man. So let's talk about... My first impression of most of these characters has been wrong. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm fl- no. I'm flip-flopping hard. No, just on... on Ethan, c- on Sheridan, on Charity, yeah. oh, on yeah. Kay. Yeah. I'm, like, really... I had it wrong. Yeah. Well, they tried... They tricked you. Sure the did. writers of passions, those sure did. ugly tricksters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So at the Bennett home, everyone is in the living room getting ready to commemorate Charity and Miguel's first date by taking pictures. Everyone except for Kay, mm-hmm. right? Who's out in the backyard. She's too upset to come inside. Simone comes in and makes an excuse for her. She says, oh, she has something in her eye. She said to go ahead and take pictures without her. Right. Mm hmm. Well, then Jessica and Simone talk and they talk about how Kay's been feeling bad and that she feels bad that she's lost her chance with Miguel. And Jessica says, well, she tried everything short of witchcraft to get rid of charity. So it's best that she's finally given up. Well, it's funny you say that, Jessica. Because Kay is out back talking to the town witch. That's exactly what I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote, Tabitha consoles her psychotic neighbor by giving her a brooch where she can see the face of the person she will spend eternity with. I I said, Kay is just about to get tangled up with the town witch. (laughs) Yeah, so Tabitha has popped right up out of the bushes. As just after Kay says, like, my life is over, and Tabitha pops up and she says, I may be able to help you, <laughs> young lady, um, in her witch voice. And uh, so, yeah, she gives her this pendant, brooch or whatever, and she says, "Her, <laughs> this was funny, she's like, my father gave it to me centuries, I mean, a long time ago. <laughs> so her father gave her this brooch centuries ago. Centuries. Can you imagine living for centuries? No, I want to die. Even, I don't even want to get to one century. No. Mm-mm. Ugh. No. Centuries. Especially if everybody I love is going to die. I wonder. That's the hardest part for me. What is like the life expectancy of a witch? Of a witch? Like, I think it depends on the lore. Is her father still alive? Maybe. What is the, what are the rules? We could, we keep, we keep coming back to this question. They need to establish some rules. And also like, how do you become a witch? Like, is she a witch just because she made a bargain with the friends in the basement? Ah, Or is she a witch by birth? You know what I mean? Or can you just become a witch? Well, I think if like her immortality was tied to the bargain with the friends in the basement, she would have died when she lost her powers. So I think that that has to be separate. I don't the know. immortality and the power. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. All right. So anyway, she's popped up out of the bushes. She's given Kay this pendant and she tells her, 
the legend says that if you look into it, you'll see the face of the person you love and are destined to be with. And of course, Casey's Miguel's dumb face and she starts crying and Tabitha's like, don't worry, my dear, the brooch is never wrong. So even though it seems hopeless now, you buck up. You yeah. keep that chin up, girl. Yeah. And, and Tabitha then tells Kay this story about how, uh, you know, this is a cautionary tale I once loved a boy that my father admired greatly and he really wanted him to be his son-in-law. And she really just mirrors Kay's whole story. But the problem is that Tabitha doesn't remember that she has already told Kay like some bogus stories. So as she's telling this, Kay butts in and reminds her about the part where she already knows the end that she still suffered the loss and has the ache of regret for giving up and, and, uh, losing that boy to the other girl. And so Tabitha's like, Oh yeah, I have to go in and like, well, that was like the point of Tabitha's story. Redress this a little bit. Was that the, the, the caution is don't give up. I gave up. Right. And so then my love ended up with somebody else, but I shouldn't have given up and you shouldn't give up either. That's like the whole point of the, the, the story. And, uh, so, Kay hears this story. Oh, Tabitha puts on quite the show. It's, it's great. It is amazing, really. The she's in story tears. she tells, she's in tears. She talks about how, you know, and look at me, I gave up, and look at me now. I'm a spinster living alone, caring for a mangy old cat and carrying around a silly doll for company like a substitute child. How this. pathetic is that? I wrote the same quote because it was perfect. It, is, it was so good, and, and you know... It really, if I was in Kay's shoes, it really would have tugged at my heartstrings mm-hmm. and it definitely would have made me think twice about my choices. Definitely. But but because Kay brought up the other story, uh, Tabitha is forced to elaborate and says, well, you know, the love of my life actually died alone. He didn't end up with that girl. It was She was just the flavor of the month, you know, a passing fancy. So she's, she just continues to spin this yarn. But it's not too late for you, dear Kay, she says. And Tabitha pulls herself together and, and, you know, she heads inside. But before she goes, she tells Kay to fight for the boy she loves, the boy her father admires so much. And Kay, Kay, yeah, go for it. And Kay says, I'm going to make my dad proud. (laughs) This is what I wrote. I was like, Kay now has renewed determination to fight for Miguel and make her dad proud by being the worst possible person. She's going to do horrible things (laughs) to make her father proud. It's crazy. I love it. Tabitha encourages by saying, make like a Mountie. Go get your man. Get your man. A Mountie always gets his man. (laughs) So Kay goes inside and she's, you know, she's got a little pep in her step and Mm -hmm. she tells Simone that she's not upset anymore and then she goes to take the picture with Miguel and Charity. Oh my god. And Fucking she Charity. Literally so Simone and Jessica are talking and they say like I wonder if Kay has accepted the fact that she will never come between Charity and Miguel. Meanwhile Kay is literally pushing herself between Charity and Miguel. She pushes herself between the two people and she's like take the picture mom. I loved it because Charity was like Aunt Grace Take pictures of me and Kay with Miguel. And I hated it so much that when Kay forced her way between the two of them, I was like, okay. Yeah, I was like, I'm okay with this. I'm all right It with made this. me laugh. And it then- made me laugh. I think 
this new K. They, we, I like this K 2.0. <laughs> I, yeah, you know what it is? It's because K 1.0 was just trying to like kill Charity. Yeah. And K 2.0 is just trying to destroy an annoying character. Yeah. Minus the murder part, which is far more enjoyable. Yeah, I like K 2.0. And I love that Tabitha again is like, now she's peeking through the window to see what's going on. And again, she offers words of encouragement. And this was my favorite. She says, that's it, girl. Slither on. Slither on. <laughs> I was like, all right. Yes. So funny. Slither this was on. all so funny to me. I loved it. I couldn't stop laughing. I was having the time of my life. <laughs> so outside, Tabitha is spying. She says the slither on and everything. But she also is talking to Timmy. And Timmy, like, Timmy has taken her story to heart. He's like, I never knew Tabitha was so sad. And he, she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, if it would help, I can call you mommy. And she's like, don't you dare. And he's like, mommy dearest. Absolutely not. <laughs> and it was so funny, too, because um, he she just explains. He's like, well, if all, everything you told her was like a lie, that story wasn't true. What about why she saw Miguel's face in the stone? And she says... That Kay only saw Miguel's face in the stone. It was purely wishful thinking. Uh, So, and I think this question is more important later, but how does this stone work? Look, this is what I think. I think that last few episodes, Tabitha was doing some sleight of hand in quotes, but I think it was actually her magic returning. Mm. And I think that over the course of these episodes, we see that more and more. I think she didn't know that her magic was working a little bit. Oh, that Kay, Kay could see Kay was Miguel. really seeing Miguel's oh, face. Oh, okay. That's yeah, what I, was, I think. Because I was like, what is, why doesn't, okay, we'll we'll yeah. get to it later. But yeah, I was confused. That's what I think. I think Tabitha doesn't realize and thinks that it was just Kay's wishful thinking, but I believe Kay actually did see it. That makes sense. Because they talk about how her powers are gone, but her powers of manipulation are in full force. And she says the powers uh, will return when the brimstone in the basement burns red again. And we cut to a shot of the basement door where there is a little red flicker. Mm, so okay. I, think, I think it's just She's little spurts to get, of okay. magic here and there. Okay. So as Miguel and Charity are leaving for their date, Kay is monologuing to herself. And she says, uh, you know, enjoy tonight, Charity, because this will be your first and last date because... Kay Bennett is back, and this time I'm going to make Miguel mine. I love it. That sounded like a tagline for a movie. (laughs) Kay Bennett is back and bitchier than ever. (laughs) Back and bitchier than ever. Kay is starting to, it's it's becoming more fun. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, it's more lighthearted again because like the, sexual manipulation and the murder is out of the picture. True. Very true. Very, very true. So, um, Kay overhears Miguel say that he's going to be taking Charity to the book cafe for their date. So she runs to the kitchen to call Reese and she asks him out. And she's like, you want to go to the book cafe tonight? And of course he's like, yeah, okay. You Poor sure? Reese. Is this really Kay? Like, Aww, <laughs> yeah. Reese. She's like, yeah, it's really me. Oh my God. And then Simone figures out that Kay is up to her old schemes and yeah. she kind of is like, I'm on to you. And then... They go, well, Simone goes to the hospital, but uh, then everybody else goes to the book cafe. Book cafe. Mm hmm. Uh, Charity and Miguel have their dumb date. It's nice, I guess. And then Reese and Kay show up unexpectedly. Kay pretends that she didn't know. Oh, I had no previous knowledge that you were going to be at the book cafe. What a coinky dink. 
and suggests that they do a group hang, which is the best way to interrupt their date. Yes. So Tabitha has also followed these children to the book cafe and she's spying from, of course, outside. Unfortunately, she doesn't have bushes to crouch in. No, she's just standing outside the window of the book cafe. But she's like crouching underneath of it. Yeah, down under the window. Can you imagine being outside and seeing that? Like being outside and seeing a woman crouch under a window in plain view, (laughs) carrying a doll. Laura, (laughs) we live in New York City. I literally saw a man pissing on the street yesterday. You saw a naked man at the subway. I saw a naked man in the subway. I've seen so many things. Yeah, I've seen some weird shit. I've seen some crazy shit. I saw a man peeing on somebody else's car once. I saw him. Not like in the gutter, just on the car. Yeah. And then he started yelling at me. (laughs) Wait, the guy over here? No, this was further down. This was uh, in like Sheepshead Bay area. So there was a guy who was like living over here. And I one day was walking to the train and he was like peeing on somebody's car. Yeah. 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 I also recently saw a man literally just peeing out into the street in front of Target. And then yesterday, literally yesterday, there's a man just unzipped his pants right in front of me, pulled out his dick and started peeing. Wow. Crazy. You know what? I think we should just... So seeing a lady with a doll crouched down under a window, (laughs) I would welcome it. (laughs) I think we should just start peeing in the street. Fuck that. Ladies should just start peeing everywhere to show men how fucking gross it is. I had a friend one (laughs) time who... go find a bathroom. I had a friend one time who... Or at least be discreet. Who would do that, though. She would just, like, literally walk to a side street and pull up her skirt and squat down and piss wow and i was mortified i was like girl we can find a bathroom yeah even in new york you can still find a bath the target is right there now everyone knows where we live (laughs) not yet not yet there's a lots of targets that's true they don't know exactly there's a lot of targets just right here in brooklyn so Mm -hmm. anyway so if you hang out around a target you could maybe find us and go pee in the bathroom and not on people's cars (laughs) yeah so anyway uh Speaking of bathrooms, <laughs> speaking of bathrooms, uh, Kay takes Charity to the bathroom. She's like, I got to fix my hair. So Charity, do you want to go to the bathroom with me? Um, oh, but before I say this, before we do this part, I do want to talk about this one important, important thing where T- Tabitha is crouched down under the, the window with Timmy and, t- and ex- explaining to Timmy that Charity has to experience love fully to come into her full power. So we are back to the fact that she has to have sex with Miguel to come into her powers. We thought we had moved away from it. We have not. Um, She says he, they have to do the deed. That's what she says. They decided to explicitly police uh, this girl's sexuality. And yeah, this begs the question too, is it like, is it just penetration that will allow her powers to manifest or is it orgasm because the two are not the same for all women yeah right so it's like so they're trying to be explicit but again they're being explicit from a male perspective it doesn't actually make sense or answer questions yeah and as i have said before it really just makes no sense that you would be stronger you would come into some kind of superpower because some man put his dick inside of you. right makes no sense because as i have told all of you before dick only makes you weak it only makes you weak <laughs> yeah yeah i've been without it for almost two years now and i feel stronger than ever <laughs> If you know Trevor Noah. 
<laughs> oh Lord, child, I, I got somebody. I need somebody to knock me down a peg. Oh, I'm too powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Far too powerful. Latara single-handedly caused the coronavirus. <laughs> Lord, don't say that. <laughs> don't, no, I did not. With her evil powers of darkness. What? No, I'm evil. <laughs> What is this? I thought you liked me. <laughs> well, you're too powerful. <laughs> you're too powerful. Can I have a good power? Nope. Damn. Okay. So anyway. How absolute power corrupts absolutely. You cannot have a good power. Okay. If you say so. Yeah. So yeah, Charity has to have sex with Miguel. Whatever. So She has to. So now the whole thing is just trying to keep her from going too far with Miguel. Mm-hmm. Oh, so in the bathroom, Kay is talking to Charity. What do they talk about? Well, basically, Kay goes on some like psychological warfare bullshit. And she says, well, you know, my mom always says that first dates make or break a relationship. And then she says, uh, you know, you, you don't want to give him the wrong idea because it is the first date. You got to be careful. And Charity is so fucking helpless and clueless and doesn't seem to understand what Kay is saying. And so she has to be a little bit more explicit in saying, um, you know, uh, you have to take things really slowly with him. If if I kiss Reese like tonight, even though I super like him, then he's going to get handsy with me and the next date and then the next time he's going to expect me to go all the way. So I have to be really careful with Reese and you have to be really careful with Miguel because because she she goes on this trope about how boys only want one thing. Mm-hmm. And I this whole conversation to me just seemed so 1950s and so backwards and so outdated and so fucked up. And it was only 20 years ago that we have failed. We have failed men and failed women by convincing ourselves that men have no control over their sexuality and how they behave. I mean, that's how I was. I don't know about you, but that's how I was taught. I mean, this, this rings very true to what my parents told me. Well, that's true. My, oh, I guess that's right. My parents would have been having, well, they didn't really talk about sex with me, but it was right around this time. It was only 20 years ago. Yeah, both of my parents were just like, you got to be careful about boys. Like, they only, like, you might like them, but you can't go too far. And, like, boys think about sex a lot, and that's all they care about, basically. Right, and it's like how, it's just not right. It's just not right to reduce anybody to just that one aspect of themselves. Yeah. And I think it puts, well, we, we have, we look at society right now and see what it's done. You know what I mean? Like, I think we're finally coming around to realizing the implications of saying boys only want one thing and have no control. They have needs. And if they don't have their needs met, then it's your fault because then it's women's fault no matter what. That's what I was about to say. You know, like you can, nobody can win. We basically teach girls and women that it is your responsibility to protect yourself from men by being chased, right? Like we, it's your responsibility. And if something happens to you sexual, it's your fault basically, because you let that boy kiss you. You let that boy like touch you in an inappropriate way. And so if he, goes too far it's your fault not his fault because he has no control because he can't control it. himself right yes and that is absolutely empirically wrong right yeah absolutely yeah so so i don't know this whole conversation i hated i hated it i hated like the the themes of it uh but as a story 
you know, for for passions and for what they're doing, it sure works. It works. Because basically, Kay tells her not to let Miguel kiss her. She says, you shouldn't let Miguel kiss him tonight. Oh, my gosh. I would never let Reese kiss me. And then Charity's like, but you kissed him at the Halloween dance. Everybody saw it. And she's like, well, I was in costume. I would never... <laughs> I would never if I hadn't been in costume and I had no clue that Reese knew it was me. Right. If I had, I wouldn't have done it because it could have ruined my reputation forever. Again, back to that reputation. Yeah. Except everybody, except everybody saw you do it and knew it was you. So your reputation's already done. Your dad heard about it and laughed and said it was okay. Yeah. And that he liked that Reese was dating his daughter. I mean, come on. Meanwhile, the boys are at the book cafe just talking about how they are thinking about kissing the girls that they're on a date with because it's not wrong to show someone how you feel yep i was like can we go with that story yep (laughs) like that's far more true than policing you know these girls yeah so also can we talk about the fact that somehow tabitha made it to the bathroom before they got there and sat inside the stall and listened to this entire exchange yeah yeah (laughs) i mean that's all i need to say about it but it was just funny to me how did she accomplish this magic I guess Ooh. <laughs> more of a magic. Some magic. So the girls come back from the bathroom. Charity is very standoffish with Miguel. Like yeah. she kind of pulls away from him and Miguel's like, I don't understand. I thought we were having a good time. And she's like, I am, but I don't want to like go too far. Like, I don't want to kiss you. I think she says flat out. I think she does. To him. Yeah. Like, I don't want to kiss you tonight. Oh, okay. Well, I don't think we should kiss. So then they head back to the Bennett home. While they talk about Christmas, who cares? Yeah. And Kay keeps shrugging off Reese. Yeah. And I just feel bad for that turkey. Yeah. So I think this is a good time to take a little break. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to take a little break and uh, have some, I don't know. Some ads. Maybe some cake. No, there's no cake in this house. I've got cheesecake. Oh, shit. (laughs) All right. See ya on the other side of the ads. Welcome back from the break. Welcome back from the break. And, you know, I feel like I don't say it enough. Thank you. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Thank you for listening. So we're going to get back into it talking about uh, the Bennetts at the Bennett home. Yes? Yeah. Couples goals. Grace and Sam. I love Grace and Sam. They're at home and they're unpacking Christmas decorations Hank's also there, which at first I didn't realize he was there. I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know if you went like a full 30 minutes and didn't realize Hank was in the kitchen with them or in the living, wherever they were in the kitchen. Like yeah, there the was kitchen. a whole conversation had happened. And then I realized Hank had been sitting there the whole time. <laughs> yeah. It felt like an arrested development yeah. where, where Lucille and, um, why have I forgotten? Is Michael will be like talking about Buster, and then the camera just pans back a little, and you see Buster's and been sitting, sitting there the, there the whole, whole time. time. Yeah, it felt like that. Yeah, it did feel like that. So they are getting out their um, Christmas decorations, and uh, then we see Hank is there. What do you remember? What the conversation they had beforehand was? Yeah, I so, didn't write it down. Yeah, so Grace is pulling out an angel from a box and is kind of, you know, wiping off the dust and stuff. And Sam is like, you know, have you seen that little girl or anything? Like any of those visions you were having? Apparitions. How are you doing? And she's like, no, like I haven't seen anything. And I've, I've been on guard for evil, but I sense nothing like that in harmony. 
And uh, immediately we cut to Father Lonigan, who's like praying for some guidance about evil in the town. Evil is coming. And then we immediately cut back to Grace and Sam. And this is where Hank is. And I wrote, where'd this motherfucker come from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's also there. And I guess then, he's helping Sam fix like these old toys. Yeah. They're like trying to fix these old wind up toys. This was so flimsy and silly. Yeah. But um, while they're sitting there, he's like, well, you know, I've got a special lady in my life, too. No, you don't, Hank. You are delusional. Yeah. No, you do not. She is off naked somewhere with your best friend. Yeah, your best friend, who is also naked and fine. Way finer than you. Way finer. Sorry, but anyway, hey. he's like... Also, you're a criminal. Yeah. You are on the FBI's <laughs> most wanted list. Well, I mean, Sheridan may have killed someone. Yeah, there might be a match <laughs> made in hell. Yeah. But yeah, he's like, I've been, uh, you know, maybe seeing Sheridan Crane. And then Sam gets pissed. And he's like, you stay away from her. You're not going to get involved with the, the Cranes. And then these brothers argue about the cranes and sam says the cranes broke our grandfather during the great during the great depression and they took everything he had they stole from our family blind and uh then hank says the cranes aren't thieves they were just better at business than our grandfather was like that's some trump supporter type like He's smart because he doesn't pay taxes type bullshit. Right, right. It was so stupid. I uh, I love that we're getting some background and like maybe some new plot stuff. Yeah. But again, it doesn't really make sense. Like I need a little more detail than, than what they've given me. Yeah, I think they're trying to... Spr- they just try to sprinkle in these different things to make us realize just how bad the cranes are and why so many people hate them. Although I feel like this detail is something that could have been told to us much sooner something i feel like that would have built more of the crane i think they're just trying to build more of this like crane lore in this crane um legend you know around the town you just think that when luis for the first 100 episodes of the show (laughs) was hanging out with sam and talking about how much he hates the cranes it would have come up it may have come up right yeah because sam gets pissed right i mean angry and, uh, yeah, you would think that when Luis was doing that, he would have been like, yeah, those cranes fucking suck. Look, listen to what they did to my grandfather. But instead, he defended them. So this kind of comes out of the blue, but yeah. whatever. So Sam and, and Hank have this fight, and Hank makes the observation that Sam is acting as if someone in the crane family personally screwed him over. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like it's bigger than some past history with their grandfather. Yep. So they argue about the cranes until Grace finally gets them to stop and cool it. She's like, hey, guys, let's not let's not argue on the holidays. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It was just Thanksgiving. Right. Well, I've been feeling that they're moving us towards Christmas. I keep seeing holly and ivy and shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. It's Christmas. The Christmas season is like a month long. Yeah. So I, Yes, know. but it, the, in this episode specifically, it seems like it's almost very close to being Christmas Day because they're like, we got to get, they're like in a hurry to get the church decorated before Christmas. They're like, don't worry, Father, we'll get it decorated ad- by Christmas. For Advent. I, they didn't say Advent. They well, said Christmas. They, well, they didn't. I, I think you I think I pulled that in. I think uh, that I just know a lot about church and assumed that they were getting ready for Advent because that's part of the Christmas season, but I could be That's totally not what they wrong. said. They said, we'll get it ready for, for the Christmas service. Yeah. Okay. So it's Christmas in harmony. I guess so. It's Christmas time in harmony. <laughs> All right. So um, 
Yeah, she gets them to finally stop. And then she takes Sam upstairs for a little sexy time. Yeah. Grace and Sam are goals. They yeah. really are. I mean, there's like this whole mistletoe thing, and it's unimportant, so we don't have to spend time in it. But I thought it was so, like, cute. And then there's this song in the background. It's like, wish I could wrap you up in my love and give it all to you. <laughs> Ooh. Like, okay. Ooh. Yeah, so they're having, like, sexy time. And then I actually have that. I look, this is all I wrote Tabitha stuff about Christmas and how much she hates it. Like we get a scene of Tabitha talking about how much she fucking hates Christmas mm-hmm. because Timmy tries to like play her Christmas carols yes. on his stupid little piano. He pulls out his tiny piano and sings a bunch of Christmas carols and he wants to celebrate Christmas cheer. And Tabitha's like, no, Christmas is not our holiday. Halloween is our holiday. Christmas is their holiday. What would our friends in the basement think if we were celebrating Christmas of all places, yeah. of all things? And then we kind of see like the the fire glow, glow red under the basement door, but Tabitha doesn't see it. Right. But it looks like the friends in the basement are back. It sure seems yeah. that way. And these friends in the basement or like start, there's like a glowing smoke like an orange fiery smoke comes out of her house and flows over into the Bennett home and then they like possess those toys on the table and uh then upstairs Grace sits up she's like I feel evil I feel there's evil afoot (laughs) she's like something is wrong yes like in Matilda something is not right Something is quite wrong. Like all of a sudden she's oh, like she's something's just, wrong. Something's wrong. She was feeling good. Now she's like, I don't know what's going on. She's got this overwhelming feeling mm-hmm. that something has gone wrong. So she's like, I want to go check on the kids. So they get up and they leave the room. And as soon as they leave the room, that like angel appears. Oh my god. Into their now empty room. Great timing. Great timing. I, this is great. I'm this just, works. This is very helpful, you stupid fucking angel. I'm so over this angel. She's so dumb. I'm really over the angel. I'm rooting for the friends in the basement, I think. I guess I'm evil. <laughs> you know Well, you're friends with me and you told me that I was evil, so <laughs> I guess I am evil. My absolute power rubbed off on you. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so meanwhile, the Back at Tabitha's house, she's starting to feel things. She's like, what's going on? I can't, what's going on? And uh, she thinks maybe she's starting to get her powers back. She's like, I'm going to test out this theory. If, if my powers are coming back, I should be able to levitate you, Timmy. So uh, prepare thyself. <laughs> and levitate him, she does. Mm-hmm. And then he falls to the ground. So she loses them again or they're just weak, right? Yeah, I was a little unclear. Uh, are her powers failing or is it just touch and go? Or yeah, does, I'm unclear on it is too. Is Timmy imbued with some magic and he was the one doing it? Like I wasn't quite, I just, it wasn't super clear. Well, her explanation for why her magic isn't working is because someone is praying to keep her powers at bay. She's like, someone out there is praying to keep my powers away from me. So she and Timmy go out into the night to find whoever is praying to stop them from praying. So naturally, they head to the church. Yep, they head over to the church. So let's talk about what's going on at the Bennett home Mm -hmm. when the kids arrive. So Grace and Sam head downstairs. Hank is still there. So Hank was just like fucking around while they were fucking around upstairs yeah remember because grace comes on to sam once they go upstairs to get something and he's like well hank's downstairs and she's like 
I don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess they have a quickie while Hank is in their house. Yeah, whatever. 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 And so they, they go back downstairs and the kids arrive at the same time. And uh, basically Grace hurries them out because she's like, you know, we have to go decorate for... Uh, decorate the church and they'll be expecting us. So everyone grab your coats and let's go. Well, before that, Laura, before they leave, everybody's in the living room. Hank's telling the kids about his like first date, whatever, who cares? But then Grace hears the noise from the possessed toys in the kitchen. And and so then everybody can like hear this noise in the kitchen. And then they see a flash of light come from the kitchen. And everyone's like, what the fuck is going on? And everybody's really confused. So then Hank... And um, Sam go to try to check things out. You know, they go in and they look into the kitchen, but the evil flames have retreated and not there's nothing in there. So then Sam's like, oh, well, maybe maybe the light was just a, a, a light bulb that blew out. Well, wouldn't you be able to find that light bulb, evidence of that light bulb? Mm. And he's like, and maybe I wound these toys too tight when I too tightly when I was playing with them before. Well, wouldn't they have been playing after you wound them like there's no explanation right and everyone heard it and saw it yeah so that's where we are then then grace is like you know let's all go to the church you know they're waiting for us let's let's head over to the church we're gonna go decorate the church so they leave but everybody has witnessed some evil Everyone's witnessed some evil. And I'm into and it. no one wants to admit that it's magic. I'm so excited about this part because I honestly thought it was going to take a little bit longer for everyone to start to see these kind of crazy things start to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we're, we're, we're about to be in the shit. And I'm so excited. I guess I, uh, I'm still a little unclear and it will be clear as I watch the show. Like, who knows about magic? Like, right now... Grace is open to the idea, obviously. Charity's open to the idea. Um, Tabitha and Timmy are in on it. Father Lonigan's in on it. And nobody else seems to give a shit. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, because they don't know yeah. about it at all. Yeah. And haven't seen it yet. And now right. they have. So I so I was just curious if so, some people were going to know about it and other people if some people were going to know about magic and other people weren't, or if they were all going to be in on it together and how we would discover this. And well, we're doing it now. Yep. So it looks like everyone's just going to know that magic exists. Yep. And I'm very excited about it. All right. So let's now talk about Teresa, Ethan and Gwen before we go over to the church with everybody, we got to get into Teresa, yeah. Ethan and Gwen. So remember Ethan and Gwen are at Teresa's house arguing arguing in her living room because they have forced themselves into her home and imposed on her home and uh Teresa and Whitney are listening from the hallway and she tells Whitney she says as soon as Gwen leaves I'm gonna go tell Ethan that I love him basically so Gwen leaves after she tells Ethan that she's very hurt that he doesn't trust her judgment And Teresa does run in to confess her feelings to Ethan. She comes in, she says, hi, Ethan. I think you need me now. Teresa. And he's like, 
uh, what do you mean I need you? <laughs> but then, of course, he doesn't let her clarify. Ethan is the worst offender. Yes. Where he asks someone a question, and before they can answer it, he says, wait, I think I know, and then makes an <laughs> assumption, which is always wrong. Every single time. And it's always Ethan who does it. It's so infuriating. Yep. So this dumbass, and maybe I should call him a dumb dumb because that's a nicer version of a No, I like dumbass. But he is such a dumbass. Uh... Doesn't let Teresa clarify and assumes that Teresa is offering to tell Gwen that she has no interest in him and that she will help smooth things over. And that's why he needs her right now. Yeah. And the lead up to this was the biggest offense for me. It was I was very upset because he looks at her in her eyes after she says, you need me. He's like, I need you. And he looks at her. He stares at her and he says, you know, after Gwen left, I realized again how special you are. I'm very lucky to have you in my life. And I appreciate you offering to try and convince Gwen that she's wrong about you being interested in me. So he, the lead up is Gwen left and I realized how fucking special you are. What the fuck are you saying? Also, Ethan is just so full of contradictions. It just, this character makes no sense. You can't be this intelligent, bright attorney who's successful and also be this stupid he's so just dumb. dumb like these two things don't work so dumb and you also can't be a champion of women if you're constantly interrupting them mm-hmm. and making assumptions and calling your girlfriend names yeah like he doesn't also just no one can be this dense you can't <laughs> you cannot be this dense well so Teresa, unless it's all a play he's just like putting it on well i will get there but i have like my own personal suspicions about ethan and we'll talk about it once they go to the church. Yeah. But I have certain things that I later on I was like, you know what? Uh, Ethan's Ethan knows more than he lets on. It mm-hmm. seems to me. But we'll we'll, yeah. we'll get there. But anyway, also I just want to say I said play. I meant ploy. Oh, whatever. <laughs> I know what words are. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Teresa is of course a little upset by the fact that she thought that Ethan was confessing his love to her, and he wasn't. <laughs> Again. yet again. again. Um, but she but she goes along with this conclusion instead of doing what she went out there to pl- what she planned to do when she went out there, which was to confess all her all of her love and hopes and dreams. Um, and she goes along with this conclusion that he has leapt to like a ballet leap <laughs> to this conclusion. And she agrees to help him with her. But Ethan says it won't help. Right. And Ethan keeps telling her how special she is. And he talks about how he doesn't understand where all Gwen's jealousy and insecurity are coming from. But you're looking at it, buddy. It's Teresa. It's you. It's not Teresa. Yeah, it's, it's, him. it's him. It comes from him. It comes from him. You're and right. And Gwen has told him that a million fucking times and he won't hear it and thinks it's Teresa. Yeah. Gwen has finally been like, I have a problem with how much time you spend with Teresa, but it's because of you. It, yeah. So Teresa says... She understands how Gwen feels. She says, if I thought I was losing you to another woman, I would fight for you tooth and nail. I mean, she's very passionate, right? But once again, these feelings go over Ethan's head, right? Once again, he's just like, oh, that's really nice, Teresa. And then he apologizes to her again about barging in and hugs her. And then he leaves. Yep. And uh, Whitney comes out from hiding, <laughs> Yeah, gives her bestie a hug, and she also apologizes. She's like, I'm really sorry that things turned out this way. 
Um, maybe it's time to take a reality pill. And- well, she looks at her and says, you skirted disaster today, Teresa. Mm-hmm. And you uh, still you still have a chance to face. Oh, Lord, you still have a chance to save face and to save yourself from getting hurt. And then Teresa's like, you're right. I do still have a chance. <laughs> I'm going to follow him to the crane mansion. Oh, I'm going to follow Ethan home. Yeah. yeah, she's a total stalker. Yeah. She's yeah. a total stalker. She says, you're right, Whitney. I still have a chance. Whitney thinks she has come to her senses, but no, she hasn't. She's like, Whitney's like, oh, good. I'm glad that you are ready to give up on Ethan. And she turns to her and she's like, give up on Ethan? <laughs> Why would I do such a thing? He's waiting for me at his home right now. Oh, Lord. I just need to be there. Oh, she says, I still got a chance to get Gwen out of Ethan's life for good, but I just got to act fast. So she heads over to the mansion. So let's talk about what's going on at the mansion at this point. So Ethan gets home and is visibly upset and runs into Ivy, who's like, what is going on? And he's like, Gwen is ending things. Uh, She doesn't want to talk to me. Like, she is so jealous of Teresa. And he, like, kind of runs upstairs. Um, I won't say in tears because he wasn't in tears. But he does say the situation with Gwen has gone from bad to worse. Mm -hmm. And he goes up to his room. So Ivy calls Gwen to try and patch things up. And um, I just don't get it. Like, your mother shouldn't be interfering in your relationship. I think it's, I don't know, whatever. I, I just think it's a little odd. Well, I wonder what ivy's motives are here so the more the more i see how adamant ivy is that these two people get together the more it seems like that's like an end game for her for something like she's like i gotta get these two people married and it feels like i think like the cranes and the hotchkisses do a lot of um um business together and they have to solidify Ethan's place in the Crane family, he has to marry a Hotchkiss um, for for Ivy, in Ivy's mind, because at some point she's going to blow everything up Ah. and and it's going to come out that he's not a Crane. That makes so much more sense because she says uh, on the phone with Gwen that a woman shouldn't let anything come between her and the man of her dreams. But it's so clear that Ethan is not the man of her dreams. Like Ivy is talking about herself and Sam in that moment. So I'm like, why is he trying to, why is she trying to put these two together? And your explanation makes total sense. Yeah. It seems like Ivy has an ulterior motive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but she gets Gwen to come on over. Gwen's like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll, I'll come. Yeah, because, again, Ivy's like, it's ridiculous to think that, and they use this whole phrase that, that Ethan would be in love with the housekeeper's daughter, blah, 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 classism. But Gwen, Gwen buys it, and she comes over, right? Yep. Uh, so nobody knows that Teresa is heading over to the mansion, And so she kind of comes in uh, and creeps upstairs without anybody knowing she's there. So Mm -hmm. Ivy has called Gwen over and is expecting her, not realizing that Teresa's upstairs in Ethan's room. Oh, Lord. So she goes, makes her way up to Ethan's room when he opens the door. Because she knocks on the door, which is nice, I guess. And he opens the door and he's like, Teresa, what are you doing here? And she's like, 
oh, we have some unfinished business to take care of. Don't you remember? And Ethan's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm having a rough day. What, what is this? <laughs> and she just pushes past him. She comes in. She's like, you remember we were supposed to work on that special project before you went on that weekend, your romantic weekend with Gwen. And he was like, oh, yeah, the romantic weekend from hell. Uh, and so then they decide to sit down and do this work. This part, I think, was really just a means to an end for for Ethan to talk about how he's so stressed out and how he is, his neck and his back has knotted up because of all of the stress and his overwhelming feelings. And Teresa is like, oh, I can massage your neck. You know, I trained with specialists when I was a candy striper at the hospital. Like, let me work this knot out. And at first, he says no. And then he quickly is like, actually, yeah, I will take that neck rub. And, I mean, we all know Teresa always gets what she wants. Mm -hmm. At the end, he was he was never going to get out of that room without getting a massage from her. Of course. <laughs> so he's sitting at his desk. Teresa's rubbing his neck, and he says, wow, you really know what you're doing, Teresa. And she says, I just hope this works. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, y'all are having two very different mm -hmm. conversations. <laughs> and so then Ethan has, like, a knot in his neck that Teresa's having trouble getting out. Like, he, she gets a lot of the knots out, but she's struggling with this one. And she says, well, maybe if you lay down on the bed, I can get at it better. And Ethan smartly says, mm, he thinks twice. He says, what if somebody came in and saw us like that? Like, they might get the wrong idea. But Teresa... Uh, who, again, always gets what she wants. She's like, who's going to barge into your room at this hour? Well, you did. Right. You, <laughs> well, you, you did. One. So Ethan, very stupidly, goes along with it and gets on the bed. Yep. Yep. Unbeknownst to them, Ivy has let Gwen in the house and uh, gives her a little pep talk. And so Gwen is, although nervous and has some trepidation, she heads upstairs Oh, can I say this one line? Uh -huh. So Gwen comes in, Ivy's talking to her, and she again tells her not to give up on her love, blah, blah, blah. And she sends her upstairs and she says, I know he's alone up there, depressed and pining away for you. <laughs> oh, boy. Gwen. Oh, Gwen's in for quite, oh, for the shock. Oh, such a shock. The shock of her fucking life. And she, she knocks on the door first. And then enters, and yet, and yet, Teresa and Ethan did not hop off the bed when they heard the knock at the door. They stayed right put. So when Gwen opened the door, it looked bad. Yeah, she only sees Teresa. <laughs> she sees Teresa laying next to Ethan, but but she can she can tell there's another person there. But she really only sees the back half of the Teresa's back half, like her ass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like oh, laying on the bed, massaging her man. Yeah, and Gwen tells Ethan, you know what? Forget it. I shouldn't have come. It's over. And he, of course, tries to explain. Oh, I had the knot in my neck, and you know how that is for me. And she says, Yeah, I know all about your neck rubs and where they usually lead. Duh. Mm -hmm. I know all about this because when I rub you down, it usually ends in a different kind of rub down. You know what I mean? Then he kind of turns it on her and he's like, well, I only needed a massage because I was stressed out about you. And then says, would you have me stay in pain? And Gwen's like, these are not the right questions. This to be was some bullshit. Right that yeah. was some bullshit. But then Gwen turns her ire to Teresa. And yeah. She says, I've got to hand it to you, Teresa. You didn't waste any time. Congratulations, Teresa. All your scheming has paid off. I'm leaving. And Teresa sits up on the bed. She doesn't get off the bed. She sits up. Right. And she says, 
I don't know what you're talking about, Gwen. But then Gwen goes off. She's like, you've been after Ethan since the day you walked in here. And Teresa says, I only ever came here to work. And Gwen's like, is that what you call it? (laughs) And I have to say, like, Ethan starts defending Teresa. Mm -hmm. And Gwen makes the excellent point of, I'm telling you that it's over between us. And you're standing here defending her? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a problem. Yeah, well, he says, you don't have to drag Teresa into this. And she's like, Teresa is the whole reason this is happening. And uh, she then says, uh, but you know what? Maybe you're right, Ethan. Maybe I shouldn't blame Teresa entirely because it wouldn't have been so easy for her to pull you in if you weren't attracted to her in the first place. Look. And then she brings up the fact that Jewel, she was like, and I'm not the only one that thinks so. Your father thinks so too, or have you forgotten? Yeah. Gwen makes... Some really solid points. And I'm like so on her side until. Until this very moment. Because I was literally was like Gwen's trying to get her fucking self slapped. She's trying to get slapped. Because Gwen then starts to pull all her things from Ethan's drawers. And she's like, I'm just going to get all of my stuff and clear enough space for you, Teresa. Now there will be plenty of room for you to move all your things in. Although I guess you could just get your mother, the family housekeeper, to come over and do it for you. Or has Pilar already cleaned out a drawer and some room in the closet for you? This bitch is nasty. Gwen says Pilar is a good and decent person and she certainly doesn't deserve a daughter who's such a bitch. Well, because when Teresa, because when Gwen brought... Pilar up, Teresa got the fuck up. Because again, if you're going to start talking about my mama, we're about to have some real problems. You're trying to get smacked. You're trying to get slapped. Do not talk about my mama like that. Mm -hmm. And so um, Teresa gets up and she's like, you can say whatever the fuck you want to say about me, but leave my mother out of it. Leave my mother out of it. And then Ethan tells Gwen that he owes Teresa an apology. And she says, over my dead body, if I owe anyone an apology, it's Pilar because she's a good and decent woman who doesn't deserve to have a daughter who's such a bitch. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and look, to be perfectly honest, like a lot of this is recap. So like the argument that happens between Gwen and Ethan that follows, like it's kind of the same old, same old where she's like, like up to this point, we see a new, like a worse side of Gwen because she's talking about Teresa, but after this, like, it's just the same old. Mm-hmm. Teresa's been after you for so long. I can't count the number of times I've seen you in compromising positions. Like, I, stop trying to keep me here. Like, I'm leaving. I'm not doing this anymore. And it gets to the point where she starts to, like, embarrass herself. Oh, like, she was already embarrassing she, herself. Like, yeah, but, like, she she just... She <laughs> loses her mind a little. Like, she storms over to the bedside table, like, pulls out a bunch of condoms, throws them on the bed, and is like... Um, you better be careful and use these because you wouldn't want to get pregnant. And- well, she, well, she's like, here, she's like showing, giving Teresa a, a, a tour of Ethan's room. She's yeah. like, here are where the condoms are, or do you want to get pregnant? So Ethan has to marry you. Yeah. And, um, oh, she, she just was going off and she was being a real bitch. Oh, she just, she fell apart. She, she, we, we just watched a woman unravel. Like she fell all the way apart. Well, and in my notes, I, I wrote like, we recap all the same old things. Like you said, and then I said, Gwen finally leaves. And then, oh, I thought she left, but honey, she came on back. She came back. She left and came back. She was like, I'm not done. Yeah, and she just goes all the way off. But yeah, she does eventually, finally storm out. And Ethan 
does not follow her. He stays in the room and apologizes to Teresa before following his girlfriend. Yeah, he says, you know, I'm sorry, Teresa, and I got to go after her. But then he leaves and Teresa immediately calls Whitney. Girl, what the fuck are you doing? Go home. Teresa's, I mean, Whitney's at your house. Just go there. Why, after being involved in this horrible confrontation, would you stay there? To incriminate yourself further. Well, and, okay. If they do break up and he comes back, he now, you're there. And you get to comfort him, I guess. But obviously, if he's just been broken up with, like, he's going to want to be alone. Does he? Or worse... What if they stay together and they come back in together and you're still in his room? Yeah. Like, leave. Go home. Leave. Get the fuck out of here. So she calls Whitney and starts to, like, gloat. And meanwhile, Gwen runs into Ivy, who's returning from the hospital. And she runs runs into her on the stairs and tells her that she found Ethan with Teresa. But she's too, too upset to explain anything and runs out crying. So then Ivy like runs up the stairs. Well, she doesn't run. She just heads up the stairs. She's a queen. She doesn't run anywhere. No, she, she doesn't go anywhere those, in a hurry. She floated up those stairs like a beautiful ice queen. Yeah, but she heads up the, the stairs to find out what the fuck is going on. And she passes Ethan on the stairs. And he tells her that Teresa's in his room. And Ivy's just seconds away from catching Teresa on the phone gloating about breaking Gwen and Ethan up. Now, I about had a heart attack. At this point, we get a first person view of the person opening the door to Ethan's room and seeing that it's Teresa's on the phone and saying very incriminating things. And I was like, ah, it's not going to be Ivy. It had to be Pilar. And it was. And it's still bad. I, I, I knew too. I was like, well, at first I was like, Teresa's gonna get caught. Yeah. But then once we did see that person there, I was like, that's that's gotta be Pilar. They, I could tell by the manicure it wasn't fucking Ivy. Well, I could tell by the fact that they were shooting it that way that they wanted us to think it was someone that it wasn't. Yeah. You know, like it was just obvious in the in in the POV. But So luckily, luckily for Teresa, Pilar comes into the room mm-hmm. and but, but Teresa has her back to the door and she's on the phone and she goes, Someone's in here. <laughs> I think Ethan's mother heard everything like, uh, like girl, just hang up the phone. Yeah. Now Teresa does get off the phone and she turns around and sees that it's her mother and she's thanking her lucky stars. But Pilar is glaring daggers Mm -hmm. at her daughter. And she says, you need to stop causing trouble. Like, what are you doing here? Get your head out of your ass. And Teresa's like, but Gwen thinks Ethan is falling in love with me. And that's why she's so upset. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and, and, and like, she goes, yeah and she goes, i know <laughs> i don't blame her <laughs> i don't blame her exactly and you know who overheard that ivy. ivy and ivy says excuse me and she comes in hot and she demands an explanation from Teresa. but Teresa wiggles her way out of it she as she is she's masterful in these situations yeah you know oh it's just Gwen jumping to the wrong conclusion. I have nothing to do with it. And she really mostly tells the truth. Like the thing yeah. about Teresa is all she has to do is say what actually happened because she hasn't, she hasn't done anything wrong. She has not overtly right. done anything. She has just made herself available when these situations happen. Yeah. She's made the situations worse, like her, yeah. her presence, but it's not anything. She hasn't come on to Ethan at all, really. Yeah. You know, not really. Well, eh, she, like I said, she's made herself available for when he yeah. wants to come on to her. It's yeah. kind of it's kind of her game. Yeah. That's what she's doing. And that's yeah, that's the truth. So 
Ivy then apologizes and she says, I realize your being in love with Ethan is as ridiculous as Ethan being in love with you. Yep. <laughs> and so then we uh, see Ethan and Gwen outside fighting in the front yard like a couple of rednecks. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, honestly, like the white trash they are. <laughs> I feel like I could say that because I I come from that stock. (laughs) (laughs) No, he they they're fighting outside of this beautiful mansion, and he's like, "I love you." Teresa means nothing to me. Blah blah blah. She's an innocent victim of circumstances. Blah blah blah. I've done nothing. I've done nothing. I've never done anything that I felt guilty about. And she and she's like, "That makes me feel a lot better." Right. Like. And well, the second part of what he says is, and how can a girl like Teresa make a woman like you feel insecure? And it's, I will say like, that was the one thing that Ethan said that I was like, okay, that's a reasonable thing, but there's a lot more layers to it than that. There's a lot more layers to that. And he also found the, the, the most circuitous route to making Gwen look bad and making himself look better. It's gaslighting. It is. Exactly. Exactly. It's gaslighting. It's gaslighting. And Gwen, Gwen, to her credit, in this moment, stays on track. She's like, it's not about Teresa, Ethan. It's about you. And he thinks that this is her saying that she's upset for not getting a proposal from him. Well, she also says, and this mm, didn't track with me, because she says... She gets really, really defensive about his, like, how can a girl like Teresa make a woman like you insecure? Mm -hmm. And she um, says, I'm not desperate and needy. We've seen that to to be false. Yes, you kind of are. She remember those early episodes, how desperate and needy she was. Remember her on the phone constantly while she's driving to the cabin? Yes, yes, you're so desperate and needy. And then she says, so please don't tell me I'm insecure or threatened by the housekeeper's daughter. If you weren't insecure or threatened, you wouldn't keep calling her the housekeeper's daughter. Boom. Period. Boom. Um... So she says, because that's not what this is about. I'm sorry. At this point, I'm like, Gwen is trash. I don't like Gwen. Yeah. No, I get it. Like, we're we're seeing we're seeing the worst side of Gwen. The thing is, is I just hate Ethan more, I think. Ethan and sucks. That, and, that, and in my head, like, that's, that's what it is, because Ethan sucks. But Gwen... The, this was crazy. Gwen. So let, what happens next then, Laura? Well, we've gone to the sad part of every argument between a couple where they kind of stop yelling and they're just sad and emotional. (laughs) And Ethan chooses this exact moment to reaffirm his commitment to Gwen by proposing to her. Yeah. He gets down on one knee in the snow and uh, offers her the worst proposal I've ever heard. (laughs) And she, of course, says no and says, you're not proposing me out of love. You're proposing to me to prove a point. And I will not marry you until you want me to. The end. Your your love is shallow and I want no parts. So I have a couple of things here. The first thing is, the the thing that Ethan says before he fucking proposes is... Oh, I know why you're acting this way. You're hurt and angry because I haven't proposed to you. You're worried about losing me to Teresa and you're using her as a scapegoat. And then he proposes to her. What the fuck was that? What? Who does that? You, you're accusing me of scapegoating a teenage girl mm-hmm. and then you propose to me yep. and saying that I'm insecure. I mean, in the same breath. Yeah. Second thing, Gwen said no. 
bad choice. I know, I know how you feel about this. And I agree. I agree in any real circumstance, like this is a terrible proposal. Say no. But all Gwen has wanted this entire time is to be married to Ethan. And she's going to have to take him how the fuck she can get him. Except that if she, if all she wanted was to be married to him, then she would have said yes. She, she tells him, I want a real proposal. I want real marriage. I want real love. I don't want something that's hollow and shallow. Like she, she refuses to take whatever she can get from him and says, I will not be with you unless you, I get all of you. And she says no, which is completely and totally understandable and the only respectable Mm -hmm. choice. It is. I totally agree. And of course she should say no, but girl, you are not going to, this is, it's over. It's over. It's over. And I mean, the it's thing not is, over, but. <laughs> well, yeah. But here's the thing. It's like, I can appreciate that Gwen is trying to go out on her terms. I actually kind of, I really like that. That Gwen is like, no, you've done me wrong too many times. Like, I'm not doing this. We've been fighting about it for too long. Like, let me leave. And he just will not let her go. Yeah. She also says, like, there seems to be some, something's holding you back. Mm. You know, she says there's something very wrong in our relationship. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, she, she's got a good point. She, she's got a good point, but. So Gwen turns she, him down. She turns him down. And meanwhile, Ivy, Teresa, and Pilar are watching from the upstairs window. <laughs> They have like opened the window so they can hear everything, can see everything. And when he goes down on one knee, Teresa is like, falls to pieces a little bit. Like she's like, oh my God, no. And then when Gwen says no, she smiles. Yeah, it was great. The, the juxtaposition of Pilar, who's just like horrified to be seeing any of it. And then Ivy, who is overjoyed at the proposal Teresa's face has completely fallen and then the flip-flop yeah of when Gwen says no and Ivy's face falls and Teresa is elated I mean yeah. just framed in that window it was great so at this point Teresa and Pilar leave for the church and Ethan comes back in they they don't see each other again Ethan comes back in and uh talks to Ivy and Ivy tells Ethan she saw everything and she gives him a little pep talk she's like buck up butto Oh, and I hate uh, Ethan's response. Ethan says, I hate for Gwen to make a mistake that she's going to regret for the rest of her life. Yeah, what was that? Again, like every he's gaslighting her and she's not even there. Like he's blaming things on her that are his fault and she's not even there to defend herself. He thinks he's a great prize. Well, his mama keeps telling him that he, he is. He thinks he's some great prize and he sucks. I would not marry Ethan Crane. Mommy keeps telling me I'm special and my aunt wants to fuck me. Therefore, I must be. You know what? No, I would marry Ethan Crane, but I would like my Lisa him hard. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, like I would be mean to him. Like, if he wanted to marry me, fine, let's get married and and we'll stay married for like a few years and I'll, you know, squirrel my money away and get my divorce. And I'd be mean to him the whole time. Mm. Most of the time. Not all the time. Yeah. You you got to be nice to them a little bit so that the, they don't. Yeah. yeah you got to, you know, so, you know, you got to dangle the carrot. Right. And then, you, nope. You got to break them down just <laughs> right. I'd <laughs> yeah. be so mean to him. But anyway. And he, and you know He what? would deserve it. That's exactly what I was going to say. And he would deserve it. He would deserve it. So Ivy's like, you know what? You need, you need to, um take your mind off this. How about you run an errand for me? I need a check to be dropped off at the church. So why don't you take this to Father Lon again and kind of distract yourself? Yeah, so you can clear your head. So Ethan leaves and 
heads over to the church. So why don't we all go to the church? Seems like that's the only place to go. Time to go to the church. Is it St. Mary Margaret's? Yes, it is. All right. I always ask and never remember. Yep. So over the church, Father Lon again is like praying. He fears evil is coming to harmony and asking God for help, whatever. Teresa and Pilar and Whitney show up and they come there to help decorate for Christmas after the events uh, that happened at the mansion, right? Mm -hmm. So Pilar sees Father Lon again and she sees that he seems a little um, tired, I guess. And she says, you should rest, Father. And uh, he's like, you know what? You, you're right. I, I'll need all the strength I have for what's coming. And Pilar thinks he means Christmas. And <laughs> she's like, yeah, Christmas must be pretty, pretty rough for you. And he, he uh, busy for you. And he's like, I mean, no, there's evil coming to harmony. He flat out tells her. He tells her there's evil coming to harmony that will affect them all young and old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's souls that must be protected. So Pilar's like, Let's go rest. Yeah, she's like, okay, father, let's go. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, and so, meanwhile, Teresa's having a wedding fantasy. She's up on a ladder hanging some holly or something and is having a fantasy of being married to Ethan. And then she falls and falls directly into Ethan's arms. And Whitney says what we all were thinking. She says, oh, no, <laughs> not again. Not again. <laughs> well, he catches her, but she uh, th let me just read to you what my notes say. Ethan catches her, but did she faint? What the fuck happened? He's holding her in his arms and she's asleep, dreaming about their wedding. Again, what is this? Like, I really... And I said, what is happening? She continues to dream, <laughs> even though she fell. What is happening? How, did How she is this asleep? even remotely feasible? When did she fall asleep? <laughs> I don't know. I was like, is she a narcoleptic? What? <laughs> so, I, I, so uh, this makes no sense, but Teresa is now in Ethan's arms, still passed out, I guess. In but, a fugue state. But she's speaking out loud, and she says, I love you to him. Oh, God. And then she starts saying her wedding vows to him out loud. And she's so, like, I'll love you forever. I promise to stand by your side, blah, blah, blah. And Like, so, she's having a dream out loud. But dream and reality converges because reality, Whitney, starts to say in dream... And Teresa's dream, the same thing. And mm -hmm. so Teresa finally starts, I think it like kind of brings her into reality and she's able to get Teresa's attention who wakes up and realizes she's in, to e she's in Ethan's arms and he's like, oh, you're dreaming about your wedding. Yeah. Cause she's like, what happened? And he's, <laughs> and he says, you fell and you bumped your head. No, I she didn't. Literally. So she this didn't. happened, this happened at the end of. Uh, the falling happened at the very end of 113 and then the rest of this happened in 114 and he finally says that she bumped her head because I was so confused so I literally went back to 113 found that spot to find see her bumper she did not bump her head she didn't bump her head she did not bump her head she did not bump her head there was no sound effect she no gun us. there was no gunshot and she didn't bump her head there's yeah. a lot like this is ridiculous yeah there was no sound effect we did not see it in the staging like we saw her fall off the ladder and collapse into his arms. It doesn't make any sense, but we got to go with what they're telling we got, us. I'm going with it. I'm going with it. So that, just so you all know, that's the explanation. Because I was Pitiful. so confused. Pitiful. I was so, so confused. Ethan's like, uh, oh, you, you were dreaming about your wedding. She's like, oh, I was? And she's like, I hope I didn't say anything incriminating. And he goes, yeah, you must have been having a dream about that lucky guy you've got a crush on. You never did tell me who he is. What's the lucky guy's name? 
But Teresa manages to change the subject and she asks, you know, what brings you to the church? And he tells her he brought the check for Father Lonigan. So uh, Teresa, he says, do you know where he is? And Teresa's like, oh, I think he's over in the sacristan or whatever. Sacristy. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so Teresa takes him to find Father Lonigan. And of course he isn't there. And uh, Teresa tries to flirt with Ethan by talking about God and tells him about how she served as an altar girl when she was younger. Mm-hmm. And he says, you're always so full of surprises. And then she shows him church records. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, what are all these books in here? And so she shows him she shows him church records and pulls out a book and opens to a page where her mother and father um, signed in the uh, uh, signed on their wedding day. Mm-hmm. And Ethan starts kind of musing. He says, wow, she's been alone a long time. I wonder why she never remarried after your father left. And Teresa hates this. She is shocked and offended yeah. by the mere suggestion that her mother remarry, right? Yeah. And she says, marriage is forever, Ethan. Don't, don't you believe that? You take your vows before God and the bonds of marriage are sacred. And Ethan's like, yeah, I, I agree that marriage is forever. And when I marry, I want it to be forever. And so then they talk about their families. And Ethan says that Teresa's family has so much more than his because they have closeness. And he goes, what's that old fashioned term? Oh, yeah. Close knit. Yeah. That's what you are. You're that old fashioned term. Old fashioned term. He sucks. He sucks. <laughs> what a crumb. <laughs> I heard that on a podcast I listened to. What a crumb. They call like like annoying bad dudes. They're like, what a crumb. I'm like, I love that. I'm gonna start calling people that. Crumbs. Yeah. What a stale crumb. crumb. He's he a such stale a crumb. crumb. So yeah. He's talking about her family and he's saying, your family is so close. I wish my family was like that. And she's like, but your family has so much. And he says, your family has more because you have closeness. And while I understand that it is very important and it's like a beautiful thing for your family to be close and love each other and have a loving, warm family, that is like a beautiful thing. It is odd for like a billionaire to tell one of his uh, employees that, they have more than he has. Ethan is tone deaf in every sense of the word. Yeah. And this just goes to show it. Yeah. And after the thing he says next, it's even more tone deaf. <gasps> it was this troubling. Mother, it was troubling. This motherfucker is talking about how close knit her family is. And then he says something about how when we're married. Okay, I got this. But what did she say? He, he says, says, he says to her, you know, Someday, when you and I get married and we have children of our own, I hope that we can have the kind of family you have. The fuck did you just say to this girl? And then, of course, we all, I imagine we all had the same moment because I wrote like, what is Ethan saying? What's happening? I wrote a bunch of question marks and then said, Teresa heard it too, so I guess I'm not wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because Teresa's like, did I just hear what Ethan, what I think I heard? Like... In her head. Yeah. But then he clarifies, and of course he meant when they get married separately to other people. Right. But you know what could have fixed that sentence? An S. An S. (laughs) An S. When he he could have said, uh, uh, you know, someday when you and I get married and we have children, families of our own. That's what he should have said instead of children. He wrote, he said children. Oh. Ah. But when we have families of of our our own. own. I hope that we can have the same kind of families you have. There you go. 
simple correction. But that's not what the fuck he said. Nah, that's his, not what he said. His, and it was a, it was like, was, okay, so this is the moment where I was like, I feel like Ethan. Every time Teresa starts to pull away a little bit, he kind of notices and he says things. He lets himself say things to make her. He likes the attention she gives him, mm-hmm. and he says things that that make her eyes light up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I I really think he. I'm not saying that he 100% is doing all of this on purpose, but I think on some level he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. The show would have us believe that it's destiny or fate or kismet and that he and Teresa are innocently finding themselves in these situations. But I have a hard time believing that when she is always, she, she makes, like I said it earlier, but she makes herself available and he is actually the one instigating most of it. Yeah, it's he not, he fills her availability. Yeah, and he fills her availability. Like yeah. it's not fate. Like they're they're both amenable to the idea. Mm-hmm. They're just waiting till she's of age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, then, as is evidenced by this next bit, Lord this Jesus, this is ridiculous. This was crazy. So yeah, he of course meant that they were going to live separately, right? Like not that we are going to have a family together. So that deflates Teresa a little bit. And I think he sees that she's a little bit deflated because then he says again, he's like, oh, your eyes in this light. I'd forgotten how beautiful they are. It's extraordinary. The colors in your eyes, deep brown and specks of gold. It's like looking into a Monet. And he leans in dangerously close to her face and just like stares into her eyes. This man is either a complete idiot or he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Also, uh, she's a minor, sir. Yeah. She's a child. Let me just remind you of that. She's a child. You stop it. You stop it right now. Yeah. And then he pulls back. He's like asking her about that guy she likes again. What's all this? I moved on to the next part because it's just recap. Okay. So I said, at this point, Father Wallonic... (laughs) At this point, Father Lonigan walks into his office and finds Teresa and Ethan canoodling. And uh, tells them to pray because he's worried about members of the congregation facing difficulties because he's worried about evil. And he kind of uh, scoots, tries to scoot them out of the, oh no, he leaves the office. He leaves, yeah. And this Ethan is, gives him the check and he, he leaves. Yeah. And this is what prompts Teresa to talk about the Christmas festivities that are happening in town. She says that, um, you know, there's a lot of, lots of things that you can do and it's fun. Like maybe I'll see you at one of them. Like the tree lighting tomorrow, Santa Claus picks the most beautiful girl in harmony to light the Christmas tree. And then she picks a boy to help her. So like, I'm going to be there. Maybe you'll be there. (laughs) You know, like she's obviously trying to make some, some stuff happen. And he's like, no, unfortunately I have to work. I have a meeting. And she's like, Oh, okay, whatever. Yeah. So that's what happened with them. So they leave and, um, let's, let's talk about the Bennett's. Yeah, the whole Bennett brood has, has arrived at the church while all this is happening. Yeah, they all show up in, in, with Simone in tow and uh, who else is with them? Reese. Reese, yeah. Yeah. Miguel is with them. Well, yeah. Miguel and Reese stop at the hardware store and then they come in a little bit later. But yeah. for all intents and purposes, they show up together. So they come in. Hank's already been there trying to yeah. help out. And uh, so he says he needs some more lights or something. And Charity immediately is like, oh, I'll go get them. And Whitney tells her that they're in the basement. So she just goes to the basement. 
And Simone looks at Kay and, and says, you're going to let her go to the basement by herself? It's so creepy and scary down there. And Kay's like, yeah, fucking let her. I'm with Kay. Also, I believe her. Every church basement I've been in, and there have been many. Creepy. Been very creepy. Yeah, so <laughs> creepy. But yeah, fucking let her. I, I'm, with, I'm with Kay on this one. Yeah. Ugh, Charity. So Charity goes down to the church basement. And it is creepy. It is it is beyond creepy. She um she starts hearing whispers. Now see you this is the craziest thing that I thought happened in this episode. In these yeah. episodes. This is the craziest it's, it's, thing. It's pretty amazing. It's definitely crazier than Eve saying she wants somebody who has her secret dead. Yeah. I meant like in terms of paranormal, this is the craziest. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Because Charity starts hearing whispers. They go, Charity, 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 Charity. Like, they just start whispering her name, and she's like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, well, the statues start to come to life. Yeah, there's all these angel statues down in the basement, and they're whispering, saying, Charity, Charity. And they start to move and glow like club light it's like a strobe light yeah. like blue and red and you get some purples the light starts flickering the angels start moving they're calling out her name and um they start telling her to be careful and that she's going to need to fight evil and it's it's it reminded me very much of when we did faust the opera faust mm-hmm. and they had they had the the uh, statues in the church come to life and then they oh had, yeah they had that like reverse consecration thing yeah and it was like that's cool it was really With the cool. lights and everything it, yeah. yeah it made me think exactly of this one production that none of you have seen and that <laughs> i've decided to talk about um but it was very effective and very scary and charity screams understandably but this bitch can't get out of the basement of course she can't she's locked the door behind her of course she can't get out of the basement so these uh these statues are just like Fight evil, Charity. Fight evil. Fight evil. She's like, what? I don't know. Oh, she's screaming. Meanwhile, Tabitha and Timmy have come to the church in search of whoever is praying, praying the, the evil away so that she can't get her powers. And she happens to hear Charity screaming from the basement. And she looks through the basement window and she can see Charity down there. And Timmy's like, we should... We should help. We should help her. And Tabitha says to him, have you lost your beanbag mind? <laughs> that was my favorite line in the whole thing. Have you lost your beanbag mind? Charity can stay down there and rot for all I care. <laughs> Tabitha and Timmy were in top form. This group of episodes was like very Tabitha, very Timmy. And I loved it. I, they were perfect. I loved it. Oh, so good. She can stay down, stay down there and rot for all I care. So they just I agree. sit there and watch. I agree, too. I agree. So um, upstairs, while all of this is happening downstairs in the basement, upstairs, Kay talks to Simone and shows her the um, brooch that Tabitha gave her. And Simone looks into it and she also sees Miguel's face. At which point Simone's like, get that fucking thing away from me. This thing is evil. Take it outside. Bury it. Burn it. I don't care. Get it away from me. And Kay's reaction is, you like Miguel too? (laughs) Yeah, she's like, are you telling me you love Miguel? Are you sure you don't love Miguel? And uh, Simone's like, are you crazy? That thing is evil. She's like, there's some like voodoo shit going on. Like, get it away from me that also during this time because charity's been downstairs for a long time miguel comes in just after charity goes down to the basement so he comes in he asks Kay if they've seen charity she says nope (laughs) nope don't know where she is and uh 
he keeps coming around to ask them, have you seen Charity? And every time she's like, nope. nope. And I loved it. No clue where she is. <laughs> cousin? What cousin? I loved it. I don't know why. I'm Team K now. Charity I who? Charity Standish. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually. Charity, I can't stand her. Does that work? Good one. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> it was a good one. It was a good one. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. Uh, Miguel keeps asking where Charity is and Kay keeps lying and saying she doesn't know. Also, Father Lonigan is continuing to pray the evil away. Yeah, I love this. Every scene that we see in the church is interspersed with Father Lonigan praying at this goddamn angel statue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. So also upstairs, Grace and Sam start to talk about their love and their marriage. And she mentions about how she wants to have her name changed to standish on their marriage certificate instead of whatever it was, Stowe or something like that. Doe, because she, cause oh, she didn't she had her it name. Oh, Doe. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, then Sam decides, you know what? Let's do something. So they then do like an impromptu wedding vow renewal. And he remembers all of his wedding vows and, they're, and it was beautiful. It was unbelievable. He calls her the most wonderful, caring woman he ever met. He says to her, oh, well, okay, let me set this up a little bit because um, she's like, what are you doing? He's like, I think we should do like a renewal right here, right now. You're the most wonderful, caring woman I've ever met. Oh, and yeah. she says, well, you know, I love you, but do you ever think about an old flame, someone less complicated, someone that maybe you would have married if I hadn't come along? And rather than answer, Sam kind of avoids it and tells a white lie. He says that he couldn't imagine sharing his life with anyone else. So it's not a lie but it's not what she asked. It ain't so. the truth. It ain't exactly the truth either. Yeah. And Ivy at this point comes into the church. Mm-hmm. She enters the church building. I'm not entirely why sure is she why. There? I don't know. Why is she there? I don't know. We see her earlier on because Ivy's all over the fucking place. First, she's at the mansion. Then she goes to the hospital. Then she goes back to the mansion. Then she goes to the church. And she, but she's she, like in every every place that she, we are in this, except for New Mexico this and, time. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it doesn't make sense that she's going to the church because she sent Ethan on an errand to the church so then so that she wouldn't have to go. So why did she end up there? Maybe she was going to check on him. She maybe. knew he was upset. Maybe she wanted to just go check on Ethan and make sure. And maybe he, he has been gone for a while, too. That he was supposed sense. to just drop off a check, but now he's been, like, fucking around with Teresa. That makes a lot of sense. Let's yeah. go with that. So yeah. so Ivy walks into the church and sees this whole scene where Sam is kind of positioning everybody and setting up a little renewal ceremony. And she hears his recommitment. And he says, there is no one in my past no one in my present and there will be no one in my future who will ever have a hold on me. I love you, Grace Bennett. Yep. And Ivy is very upset by this. Yeah, she's <laughs> yeah. not happy. She's not happy about it. Also, can we talk about the fact that Charity is in the basement for all of this? Yeah. And and nobody says boo about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. No one knows where Charity is. They she's she's forgotten. <laughs> she is forgettable, this bitch. I can't stand I can't her. Stand she's her. so annoying. I just can you can you abduct your vocal folds? No, she can't. I, mean, I was I was listening to her dumb lines and I like repeated something she said. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read a, a thing. Um, Ivy sees the whole ceremony. Okay, so Charity would say it like this: Ivy sees the whole ceremony. <laughs> That's how every line she goes. 
It's the most irritating cadence I have ever heard. I hate I hate her solely because of how she speaks. I can't stand this girl. Yeah, I can't stand I cannot stand her. But anyway, Ivy is very upset by this vow renewal. And then Ethan happens to see her and re- notices that she's upset. And he says, what's wrong? And then he does his Ethan thing where he says, oh, I know what's bothering you before she could ever get a word out. I know what's bothering you. You're just sentimental about Christmas. You always get like this around Christmas time. And she's like, "Okay, yeah, sure. (laughs) And then he asks her if he can skip her Christmas party that she's having like a Christmas dinner party, I guess. Um, because he wants to take Gwen to the tree lighting in hopes that he will see that she will see Teresa there with the boy that she loves. And, uh, she will. Yeah, she will. And also, and also Gwen just broke up with you. Like she is a tree lighting ain't going to do it. No. Y'all have really been through some real shit. Yeah. A, tr- a town tree lighting is just not going to do it. Yeah. I, you know, if I were her, I wouldn't even answer the phone. I had an ex who was like this, who we would break up and then he would like call me the next day or an hour later or whenever he fucking felt like it and just act like nothing had happened. As if nothing happened. That's crazy. I'm so sorry. Like, I, th- you know, the end. Like, and sometimes there wasn't even an apology because it would be so unclear because it would just be like a horrible fight or something. It was, it was, it was gaslighting and it's exactly what Ethan is doing to Gwen. Yeah. So, uh, Ivy says, yeah, that's fine. You know, I think whatever you can do to get Gwen back, I'm on board. And then Ivy's like, hmm, now that I have two place settings free for my party, perhaps I'll invite Grace and Sam to my party. So she's up to her old tricks. I'm excited. I want another Grace and Sam at the Crane Mansion dinner party. I need it. Well, Ivy to herself, once Ethan leaves, says, you may think you love Grace, but I know you still love me and I'll do whatever it takes to show you our love is still alive. Mm. Okay, girl. Ivy and Teresa are so much alike. They really are. They so much alike. They really are. Cut from the same cloth. So... Finally, finally, Miguel finds out that Charity is in the basement. He finally finds this out (laughs) and he immediately goes to check on her. But Kay's like, she's probably fine. (laughs) At this point, uh, they all follow him down to the basement. And I realized Jessica's nowhere to be seen. Yeah, where is Jessica? Where Where is is Jessica? Jessica? She was she in the church or was she not there? Because when they went down to the basement, it was Reese Okay, Miguel and Charity and no Jessica. Where is Jessica? I vaguely remember Jessica going somewhere else. She was like, I got to go do this thing. I I think. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, she ain't there. She ain't there. Poor Jessica, the forgotten child. So Miguel hears Charity screaming and he kicks down the door. Lopez Fitzgerald style, you know, (laughs) just kicks it in. And uh, when he gets into the room, the, the... statues immediately stop glowing, making any kind of noise or talking. And uh, so he comes in, he's like, what's wrong, Charity? What's going on? And she's like, if I told you, you'd think I was crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And Tabitha outside the window is like, yeah, they're going to think she's crazy and lock her up. Our problems are over. We won. We did it. Yeah. But Miguel presses for he says no you were yelling you were screaming something obviously was wrong and if you say it happened I'll believe you so she tells them 
that the statues came to life and were telling her to fight evil. <laughs> and uh, Simone is like, there's probably a logical explanation. That doesn't make sense. But Miguel does believe her outright. And then Kay brings up the excellent point and says, Miguel, statues do not move or talk. But then... The statue started to move and talk. Yeah, the statues start to fucking glow again. In front of everybody. In front of everybody. It's happening. It's ha- like, they cannot deny it. it. They are all watching it happen. It's happening. So, so again, we get more magic, I guess, where everybody is aware of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's it for this episode, right? Yeah. That's it for all the episodes. So um, we have a couple of emails I think we need to get into. Yes? Yes. Yes, we do. We have a little bit of listener mail, which is exciting. We do love hearing from you. Mm-hmm. So first, we're going to read an email from Brie Lynn. She says, hi, guys. I recently discovered your podcast and love it. Brought me back to when I used to watch Passions religiously. I'm still early on in your episodes, but I thought I would write in with my Passions origin story. I first saw Passions in the summer of 99. Oh, she was like in right when it started. Yeah, no, I was too. Like we all started it, except for you. Except for me. (laughs) So she says, I first saw Passions in the summer of 99. I was just scanning channels. Remember when that was a thing? And seeing Timmy and Tabitha, I made a note of the name of the show and the time it was on and watched it sporadically throughout the summer. When I returned to middle school in the fall, Passions was the talk of my whole class. Even the boys had watched it. In fact, my crush, who I walked home with from the bus stop, would talk about what a baller Julian was. Major red flag. Red flag. (laughs) She says major red flag in hindsight. It was basically expected that whenever someone was homesick, that they would watch the show and fill everyone in the next day. At the time, I was most interested in the teen storyline, Love Miguel, (laughs) she's got little heart emojis, and didn't pay too much attention to the adult storylines. One time when I was home from school, I was letting everyone know the updates when someone asked me, when someone asked me, are Sheridan and Luis in love yet? I wasn't able to answer because I didn't really pay attention when Miguel wasn't on the screen, but I made a (laughs) promise that I would do better the next time. (laughs) The next time I saw the show myself, was when I was home for Christmas break in 99, and I absolutely fell in love with Luis and Sheridan. They remain one of my favorite on-screen couples to this day. After that week, I learned how to program my VCR so I could watch Passions every day, and I watched it for years, but did jump ship when the show went off the rails. People will have different opinions of when that is, I'm sure. They started rewriting character personalities to fit certain storylines, and it really sucked, and not in a fun way. The early years are still just the right kind of crazy, though. It's going to take me a while to catch up on where you guys are, but thanks for my new favorite podcast. You guys are hilarious, and I love listening to you talk about one of my favorite nostalgic shows. Aww. Aww. Thank, thank you, you Breland. Thank you for Aww. writing in. She, um, she says, sorry for the book. Thanks again for the great podcast, because she includes a couple little interesting factors. So one is... Um, she was. She says that we make comments about the music a lot, which is true. And she says um, a lot of times they would have to go in and redub with something generic because when it was released on Super Channel in Canada, they had to change music because of rights. Okay, so this makes so much more sense. So much more sense. Because I do not remember these songs from 
before. Yeah. I don't remember the, a lot of this music. And then we do the ones we watch are the super channel ones. Right. So that makes sense. So much sense. So thank you for helping us with that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing she says is that charity sucks. <laughs> yes. Kay wasn't quite as murderous as she is in the beginning. So she's hoping we get on board. We're already on board. We, I think, I this think is the episode where we got on board. I think we're there. I think we're on board with Kay. Um, and she says, charity's boring, never gets better in my opinion. And after a while, it really makes you think what Miguel sees in this nothing burger. (laughs) (laughs) And I can imagine as like, as a young girl seeing charity with Miguel, who she, you know, she had a crush on Miguel on the show. I can imagine that being very frustrating. I love that she calls her a nothing burger. She is a nothing burger. Nothing has ever been more accurate. And then her last little fun tidbit is she tells us that the actress who originally plays Sheridan... Oh, sorry. She tells us that the actress who plays Sheridan originally auditioned for the role of Gwen, which puts the weird sexual tension between the two of them in perspective. Very interesting. Right. Yes. So that leads us to our next email from our historian, Zach. He says, ladies, in another one of my Google perusing sessions, I have uncovered some gems. Soap Opera Digest interviewed some of the original cast members of Passions and asked them for their casting stories. So here they are. I also have a quote from Mackenzie Westmore about the mu- about the much maligned and ill-conceived Princess Diana storyline because the obliviousness was too good to pass up. So I'm not going to read all of these. There's a bunch. So I'll just like post those on the forum. But I'll read um, Mackenzie Westmore's where she says, the question was, tell us your casting story. She says, I originally was called in to audition for the role of Gwen. After the first audition, the executive producers could tell I wasn't a fit. That's true. No, she would be terrible as Gwen. But luckily had creative minds to see me as Sheridan Crane. The audition process started in late 1998. About seven auditions later and a test with Galen Gearing. Is that how you say his name? I think so. I don't know. I've only read it. I haven't heard it out loud. Yeah. I was cast as Sheridan. It was especially meaningful as I learned the news on my birthday, April 26, 1999. Aww. Aww. Um, it says, how was the character of Sheridan explained to you? And she says, I was told she was the American princess. Wow. <laughs> the sweetheart that unfortunately always loses out in the end, but never gives up. She's plucky. <laughs> She's plucky, this one. Yeah. Then they ask, what did you think of the story point that she was besties with Princess Diana and still mourning her death? And her answer is, filming it, it didn't strike me that it could be an issue. I, I don't know how. I don't know how that could strike you that that wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. I was just so excited to be on a big show. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I I assume it's just like, oh my God, I'm working. (laughs) Yeah, she says, I was just so excited to be on a big news show. I do remember watching those episodes with my family and thinking, this is the beginning and the end of my career. Oh, no. She says, people are going to hate me. Little did I know at the time, the show would end up becoming such a cult classic for so many. Yeah, we love you. We hated her at the beginning too, though. We did. Like, she's not wrong. Like, it's they they made the right choice in abandoning that storyline because it wasn't working at all. It was making Sheridan terrible. We hated her. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, I also can understand, like, I don't know. I've been in some bad shows where I was like, excited about it and you get in you're like all right and then you go to the first rehearsal you're like uh-oh but maybe we can do something let's wait and see how everyone you know let's let's rally and see if we can get this thing together and then 
yeah. it doesn't work, you know? And so I imagine she was kind of, I get, I get how she could go and film it and just be hopeful and excited and then see the result and be like, Oh no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Also seven auditions. Yeah. Yeah. You have to go through so many auditions. It's seven crazy. auditions. The thing is like, I get sick getting a call back. Right. Mm. Like I go on the one audition and then I'm like, I almost am like, I hope I don't get a call back. Usually, I don't want to have to do this again. But usually that one audition is actually the second one because they've already seen your pre screening materials. So um, there's a few more of these. There's Ivy's. There's Teresa's. Um, Sam's. Louise's. Tabitha's. Let's read Tabitha's. Yes, please. <laughs> um, the question they ask her, did you have any hesitation about signing on to the show? And she says, well, the first time you sign on, it's for three weeks. I didn't have any hesitation to sign on for three years because to have a regular job as an actress is quite amazing these days. I was very excited about it, and it was a very wonderful part. Yeah, she got the best part. Oh, yeah. Tabitha's great. Yeah. What fun. Yeah. It wasn't just sort of somebody's aunt or secretary or grandmother or something. It was a 300-year-old witch. It was different and challenging and a regular paycheck. Just sounded like good news to me. I love her. I feel like I I like her. Um, Then they ask her, what stands out to you about your first week on the show? And she says, our first week, actually, we were on location in the harbor, which, of course... We never were again. <laughs> it was all fun. I really. remember her riding her bike. Yeah. And T- Timmy was like strapped into a chair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she says, uh, it was all real. It was all fun, really, except during that time I was a real witch in a tent and in a fairground. And so I had extensive makeup, prosthetic makeup, which they'd taken a cast of and all of that before we started. That was quite the shock to the system. That took about two hours to put on and two hours to take off. Wow. But it sort of got me ready for what was to come because I did a lot of those sort of makeups, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She has some crazy costumes in the beginning. Yeah. All right. So there's a few more of these. I'll post this on the forum. So if you want to read it, you can check the website and it will be there. All right. Perfect. So thank you as always to everyone who's writing in. We love hearing from you. You can continue to write in to us at passionspodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us get listeners, and we love our listeners. Yes, we do. Thank you so, 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 so much for listening. Uh, thanks again for to Zach and Breland for sending in our listener mail today and that's it yes well uh you can check out our social media i thought you said that (laughs) i thought you had said that uh i i don't think i did i don't know if you did i'll cut it out what are our social media pages latara facebook instagram tiktok and i swear i'm gonna post something on there again soon we have 50 followers now on on tiktok every time i go out there i have like one new follower so that's something that's pretty cool anyway um, we at Passions Podcast. You can find us on all of our social media and you can send us an email just like Zach and Breland did. Sweet. All right. So here we go. You are my pa- girl. I forgot we sing. I forgot we sing. At the what end. was that? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I forgot we sing. I was like, what's she doing? All right. I remember now. Here okay. we go. You are my passion for life.